Attention all personnel, tonight's podcast is The Mash Files, starring Seabus Brian, Seabus John, and Teddy the Wonder Lizard. Come on, there's no lizard in there. Will you stop fooling around? There's no lizard in that picture. For more information, go to www.themashfiles.com, or you can send communications to mashfiles4077 at gmail.com. That is all. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mash Files. Hang um, on, hang on, wait, wait, I'm sorry. Hey, I'm sorry I'm late. I Yeah, my watch stopped. It had to. It's been running fast all week. Aha! <laughs> <laughs> I am Seabus Brian with John here, who is the, how do you say, the, the quintessential Mash expert. Oh, I don't he, know about all that, but... He has forgotten more about Mash than I will ever even possibly know. I have uh, forgotten more about MASH. I, yes, you have forgotten. I have forgotten more than you yes. will ever remember, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. You have definitely more knowledge than I do. Uh, we, we decided to do this podcast. It comes podcast. when you don't have a life and you just sit around and you watch episode after episode over, over, over. Well, you know, that is a life. Right. That's, that's a distinguishing part of anyone's life. But, uh, yeah, we're here to do a MASH, a MASH, Mash podcast. Watching is a distinguishing part of anyone's life? Yes, Hmm. Doesn't it enrich you? Well, I don't feel I don't feel so bad then. <laughs> They're crazier than I am. So we we decided to do a a podcast on Mash because of our love of it, and quite frankly, my uh, astonishment of the knowledge that this man has on the subject. Uh, let's start off by saying what we're going to do first. That that's a good idea. Uh, we're going to take. Have we actually decided that? Yes, we're going to take. <laughs> We're going to take uh, each season and talk about each season after we watch it. We're going to, we're going to just talk about the season itself. Uh, we're not going to talk about the, the movie because that was kind of uh, yeah. different. And we need, I don't think neither one of us have read the book, right? I have not read the book. Yeah. We need that book because Richard not... Hooker, we appreciate what you created for us, but yeah, yeah, never read the book. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, what is it about MASH that... Hits the nail on the head for you. What what is it that makes you sit down in the lifestyle of a person who is a mashed couch potato? <laughs> Thanks. Um, I would say for me, it was just it was a show that you know it was good, clean comedy. Um, it was not anything that you know you had to worry about censoring. Um, and it was a series where you know there was good writing good stories. I mean, you know, and for me, I'm, you know, I'll be 50 this year and the show aired before I, you know, before I was even born, but it wasn't until much later in life that I, you know, started watching and really got into it. Um, but it was, it's just a show. I, I don't know what it is. It just, I never got tired of watching it. And then I would literally watch the series all the way through and then I'd start right back over again. Um, there is another show that, you know, that uh, has nothing to do with mash on the same way, which was the West wing. And I just never get tired of watching that series because it was just really good. But, you know, good writing, good stories, um, perfect character development. Um, you know, and you could definitely tell that there was chemistry between the actors on the show. It, it wasn't anything that felt forced. It was, you know, it just, I don't know. It's just, in the past, you know, you and I, we've talked about MASH. I've talked with MASH, talked about MASH with other friends of mine. And it, 
you know, it's just a series that was just perfect. That it's like one of those things. Don't you dare try to reboot it. Don't try to recreate it. <laughs> yeah. You know, just leave things alone. I mean, don't. You know, because anything you recreate, chances are, is never going to do the original justice. I could see somebody uh, taking the general idea and maybe. Well, I don't know. Modern warfare is so different now. I don't even know if the yeah. term MASH even exists Probably anymore. not. For me, uh, MASH, it was definitely the comedy that got me hooked first, of course. Mm-hmm. But normally, what's usually referred to as a dramedy, where they, they, yes. try, to, they try to play both sides, yes. is something that I distaste immensely. Um, but MASH, I'd say 90% of the time, pulls it off for me, where, where they can do... They can do both, and they do both very well. And it definitely attributed to great writing, for sure. Yeah. It seemed like to me, I thought I read somewhere or heard somewhere, and it might have been in maybe one of the behind the scenes or something, but I remember one of the producers, maybe, or maybe it was one of the actors, I don't know, but I remember, I'm pretty sure I heard somebody say that what they did with MASH was they made fun of war. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like you said, a dramedy. It's it's definitely not, you know, starring John Wayne where, you know, hey, the war is good and and commies are bad. Yeah, no, no. Especially, I mean, you kind of had, you kind of had that sort of character with Frank Burns where he was sort of the America war, killed the commies, even to the point of leave that patient alone. He's Chinese, you know. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, yeah, that that was represented for sure. Uh, but yeah, for me, it was it was the being able to flip flop between the two, say genres, successfully. Because yes. a lot of a lot of dramedies that I've seen in my life, it's just like, oh my god, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's because there's a difference between that and like a like a a black comedy where it's you know the the evil of the comedy is there. Um, which is probably more of a slapsticky type deal, which they didn't really do in MASH, I don't think. Maybe some slapstick, but definitely not. I don't think there was any dark humor in MASH. Mm, there, I don't... It was either, as, we watch, get, as we get into each season true. more, but I don't remember there ever being much in the way of dark humor, but there were definitely a lot of things mentioned, you know, just in just random lines that would be, you know... Uh, would be spouted that it's like I'd have to go and look it up and see what that meant. Or, yeah. you know, somebody's name would be mentioned. It's like, okay, who is that? You know, or something like that. But right. as far as dark humor, yeah. Yeah, I don't it, think it, there was anything like that. It, it was either... And chances are, if there was, my guess for being 1972, probably would maybe not get past the censors. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I'm from that era. Of of comedy nowadays, it's like it's the people who get offended on stuff. It's just like, really? Yeah. <laughs> Have you watched Married with Children? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but you know, we're gonna start off with uh, season one. Uh, start off with the pilot. How blissfully unoriginal! We're gonna start at the beginning. I know. <laughs> I usually like to start at the end. That way, I know how everything shows up. Blah, blah. But the pilot. Um, I had some notes on the pilot. Uh, uh, the the question of whether or not Hawkeye was married or not, which actually I, in the last episode of this season was really answered head on. Uh, you had the pilot had a different father, Mokiki. Yes, he had no dialogue. He just had a look. Because if I remember correctly, this this episode is 
the one where they're trying to uh, try to get the uh, uh, the nurse. They're trying to raffle off a nurse. Raffle, raffle off the nurse. Lieutenant to to, Dish. Yes, Dish. To try to get her to Tokyo for some R&R. And, no uh, irony in her name at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, okay, here's one thing that I did write down. Uh, Father Markeke was paid by uh, George Morgan. No dialogue. <laughs> uh, one thing that probably wouldn't pass the censors nowadays is the character called uh, uh Yeah. I don't think that would work. You yep, know, Timothy that's Brown. A, that's definitely a, a carryover from uh, the movie and probably the book. Uh, Seemed like me, the movie, did it come out in 70? I think it was 1970. It might have been. I'm yeah, not sure. That sounds right. Yeah. Either that or 1969, but it was either, I want to say it was 70. So. That's um, better. Yeah. There anyway, wasn't anything too spectacular about the pilot uh it, it had been a while since i had seen it and the one thing that surprised me was it, it just kind of jumps right in there's no uh there's no origin story for anybody it's not like it's hawkeye's uh hawkeye's first day you know what I, you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's just just business as usual it's like, like they've think, all been there for a year yeah it's like this episode could be anywhere mm-hmm. you know except for the fact that there's a different follower mulcahy yep um so that's about the only thing that really surprised me about this episode was that there was no, you know, it's a hit the ground running and, and just go. Um, your thoughts of this? No, I no, you're to- yeah, you're totally right. I mm. mean, it, it, like I said, it wasn't an intro. I mean, yes, we get introduced to the characters, which of course are all characters from the movie, mm. but it's not like, you know, they've just come across the hill and now okay, we've we need. We need wood and we need roof and we need buildings and communications and electricity and all the stuff, you know, to make a mash. I mean, it's all established. It's all there. It's all there. Yeah. Um, no, to add to your notes, um, it was one of the, you know, it, you may recall that in the pilot episode was the first appearance of Pat, uh, Patrick Adiarty as Hojon. Ah. Um, him, Timothy Brown, who played Captain Oliver Harmon, and John Orchard, who played Ugly John. Ugly John, yeah. who appears in and out of the season. Yep. They, all of these characters, they are all only in you know various episodes in season one, and then after season one, all of them just seem to disappear. Oh. Um, I, like I like Ugly yeah. John. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, I mean, John Orchard, I loved his, his accent. Because I, I, yeah, British or Australian, maybe uh, I'm not sure. It's one of those that's it's it's either or. You Americans are just a little bit silly, don't you think? Now, with the exception of John Orchard, Patrick Patrick Adiarty, uh and John Orchard, or I'm sorry, and um, Timothy Brown, after season one is over, none of them ever appear again. John Orchard, however, comes back for one episode much later in the series where he plays sort of like a military police. He plays somebody else, and he threatens to, you know, he what was it? He likes. Um, he likes his liquor served in a coffee cup. No. Oh. <laughs> and when Rosie was laid up in, um, she had like a, a, I don't know, some sort of medical condition where she was, you know, out of her bar, you know, the various doctors and so forth had to take care of her bar. And, well, she mentions the guy, I think of his character's name was Muldoon. Mm-hmm. And played by John Orchard, but apparently, you know, puts coffee in his coffee cup, he gets mad. Next thing you know, he's threatening to shut down Rosie's bar or something like that. Food. Yeah, exactly. But obviously, it's we'll get to that cup. much later. In it was like season eight or nine or something like that. Mm. So this mash is definitely one of those shows that has recurring characters, mm-hmm. and 
recurring actors yes. who don't necessarily play the same role each time. No, in fact, I remember um, in one of the behind the scenes, or maybe it was from the 30th episode or 30th anniversary that I've watched a couple times, they mentioned that they had a hard time trying to find actual Korean mm-hmm. actors and actresses to play roles. So they had to go with what they could find. Mm-hmm. And so we had people like Clyde Kasatsu, who played a few episodes, Mako. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, what Pat Morita. Pat Morita, who was in a couple of episodes. Yeah. Um, you had uh, Eileen Saki, who, pl- who was one of the actresses that played Rosie. Unfortunately, she just passed away recently. May she rest in peace. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, it was uh, just one of those things where, you know, they did the best they could. I mean, again, 1972 still sort of at the beginning or let's see about the middle of the Vietnam war. So I know that there was a bunch of concern about doing a show about war while there was a war going Mm. on, Um, which is probably why they wanted to do it. Exactly. But you know, fortunately they had that very popular Oscar winning movie to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we should do this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Um, Let's see some additional notes I have here Um, in the pilot episode. One thing, one of the things I noticed was that uh, Henry's office did not have a liquor cabinet in the back corner. Where's the booze? Yeah. Well, so yep, no liquor. That was in his writer for the next for the season. If we get picked up, I want a liquor cabinet. Exactly. (laughs) Um, This was also the only episode to ever show that the camp had a library. Really? Yes. I don't even remember that. There was a scene where um, Hawkeye continually chases after Lieutenant Dish, and there's a scene where she is standing in what appears to be a library because there's these shelves of books. And next thing you know, here comes these pair of hands out between one you oh, know, yeah, the yeah, shelves yeah, yeah. of the books trying to grab her. You know, So, yeah, they had a <laughs> library. Um, and one of the things that I still to this day, and, you know, and if we get to a point where we can put together an email address where people can write us or whatever, anybody who listens – there may be some MASH fans who know more about the show than I do, but... Never. Not impossible. Well, no, that's still... Trust me, it's definitely possible. So, um, But the, the, the PA voice. Mm-hmm. Now, throughout the series, we've heard Gary Berghoff a couple of times. Um, he, would do, he would do some announcement on the PA. Mm-hmm. But primarily, there were two actors um, who did, the, sh- who did the, the, the majority of the PA announcements, Todd Sussman and Sal Vicuso, um, who both appeared in one or more episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Todd Sussman, he was only in one episode where he wanted a nose job or something like that, but that's later on in the series. Um, or no, wait a minute, maybe that might be that might be in this. Maybe not. No, I take it back. I think it's in later in the series. <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, but in season one, the voice that you hear on the PA, I don't believe are either of those two actors. Really? Yeah. Um, I've actually posted a message. There's a Facebook group that I'm a member of. It's a, a mash thing and people disagreed with me. They said, no, it was either one of those two. And I, and they may be right, but it, to me, it does not sound like the voices that we get used to hearing. I'll try to throw in some clips. Yeah. It just, yeah, to me, it I'll doesn't sound like some. the same voice. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, let's see. Um, one other thing I noted, um, I believe this was the only episode to ever feature a young Bruno Kirby. Ah, yes. Uh, who would go on to play a supporting role in City Slickers. He was in mm-hmm. Good Morning Vietnam. Um, but his character Harry was... Harry pr- Okay, I'll take your word for it because I never saw yep. that movie. Uh, <gasps> Shame on you. Hush. We're going to stop the podcast right now. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, but he played a character by the name of Private Lorenzo Boone. Mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, yeah, that Bruno is the only, like I said, City Slickers and Good Morning Vietnam, though I know he did other things. Those are the only two right. uh, things that I know of. There, there are some so. people in this in the MASH series, even before it became the MASH series, like mm-hmm. probably mm, season four or five maybe, when people were probably like, hey, I want to be on this show. 
But uh, yeah, there are some people who show up, and you go, "Hey, that's that's so and so." Yeah, who would go you know, on? Ron go Howard on. shows up in this season, I think. You are correct. Um, episode two. <laughs> uh, to market, to market. That's where they're trying to get a desk for Henry. Or no, they're trying. They're using no, the desk. They're using the desk as the, a way to trade for hydrocortisone. Yes. Which, when I saw this episode, and they were talking about hydrocortisone for the heart condition, I believe is what it is. Mm-hmm. I was like, hydrocortisone? Isn't that what you put on an itch? That's I like, what I thought. Yeah. So I had to look it up, and I did learn something. Okay. You can. It, it, that is proper. What they're doing with it is something that at during that particular moment in time. They would do. They would use it for that condition. And I was just like, wow, that's weird. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, I have uh, the actor Jack Sue. Yes. Played Detective Sergeant Yuramana on Barney Barney Miller. Miller. Mm -hmm. So that was a big, he was the guy who was uh, trying to get the desk. He had the hydrocortisone. Yep. He appears again, doesn't he, I believe. And he plays Charlie Lee. Yes. And later, Kim Kim Chung, Quack, I think, maybe, uh, in season three of uh, episode 22, Payday. So they, they, they did reuse these actors. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was like a, he was like a peddler um, trying to sell things. Like he was trying to sell like a $1,500 pair of pearls or something like that. So not a very good negotiator. He went from 1500 down to 500 So, you know. <laughs> but he wanted that desk. And ultimately 250 so. Uh Definitely, definitely a funny moment when he did. Uh, Henry realizes that there's no wall and no desk. Yes, I actually I have a note about that here, but uh, yeah, no, that was yeah one of two episodes with Jack Sue, and that was the only episode in the series that would actually feature an EKG machine. Ah, yeah, they yeah. can see it where the little, the little needles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, let's see. So now we and you and I we talked about this the other day. Um, there was a. Uh, Charlie Lee's office, okay, where they go to visit him, is actually the same room the, where they the would black use market. Yes, yeah, where they go to see him. He's got some tires in the background, boxes that are marked medical supplies, all this stuff, and but it's the same room that was used as pre-op, the supply room, the kitchen, oh, and other uses, yeah, just stage, for whatever. The, yeah, it's just whatever. Nine, yeah, yeah, whatever they had up there, whatever they needed for a particular well, episode. It, you know, it's it, the the. The set is very versatile just because it's it's an army set. Yeah. It's set to look up like army stuff, so it's all going to look the same. It's all going to have the same colors. It's mm-hmm. just basic plywood and yeah. tin roof. So, yeah, you, pretty can, much. you can pretty much use it anywhere. Uh, I find it funny. <laughs> I have a note here. I have a timestamp, 17 minutes, 48 seconds, and I wrote down the punchline. <laughs> just something Hawkeye said, but I can't remember what the beginning of it is because <laughs> he says – that may have turned me off permanently. Uh, that would have been the scene in when they were locked or when they were under Henry's desk trying to hide from Frank and uh, Hot Lips making out and listening to them talk. It's like, you know, whatever they That's were saying, right. it's like, yeah, that may have turned me off person, permanently. See, yes. I tell you, folks, the man has more knowledge about MASH <laughs> than anybody on the planet. He could teach Larry Gilbert a few things, I'm sure. Larry Gelbart? Gelbart, yeah, him. Um, one thing I noted was... Um, it, you'll notice in one scene when they first walk in and they see the desk for the first time, there's one point where, or after they, you know, when they come in, it's like they, you know, Hawkeye, I think, tries to lift it and says, you know, it's like, my God, how'd you get it in here? You know, it's mm-hmm. like really, really heavy. And but later in the episode, we see the both of them carrying it 
you know, out of his office and around to the back so it could be lifted by helicopter. Well, so it's you like know, we, they went from being able to lift it to not, be, you know, to not being able to lift it to lift it, you know. Well, they took out all the booze. Is that what it was? <laughs> okay. And the Playboy magazine. <laughs> okay. Magazines are heavy. No, this is true. No, but when, you know, you, they, they had to get it to the, to the chopper. So they had, you know, the adrenaline going. Mm-hmm. We got to get this going. Let's see. Ah, yes. And the other thing I noted was interesting was this was the only episode that, at least that I can remember, where you actually see the inside of Henry's office at the Malibu Creek State Park set, where they actually, when the, when they yeah, were yeah, the push the wall down, down yeah, yeah, yeah. you actually see the inside of his office all dressed up as if it were what it looked a like full, on stage nine. Yeah, all that four all extreme. four walls with one missing. Yeah, exactly, one. and it was that was like the one, camera wall. Yeah, exactly. It's like one time you actually see mm. where they had to actually dress up the inside of the ranch set versus the stage set. Um, cause I think all the, probably the main building was on the, on the ranch set was just basically a shell, Yeah, you know, with some doors and stuff, but and inside it was probably all empty, but, uh, episode three, Requiem for a Lightweight. Yes. Uh, I actually started, the, the, all these, the, the, the whole series started in September of 72. Mm-hmm. Uh. I wasn't even born yet. Yeah. <laughs> Age myself this, here. This episode three is the first appearance of the man who played Father McCahey for the rest of the run of the show. Yep. And I'm sure you know his name. William Christopher. Of course. General, easy topic. Um, that was my note that he was he was there. Uh, this is also the appearance of a Sorrel Book. Book, who played General... Wilson Spalding Barker. Barker, General Barker, one of the many... Uh, Likes to come to camp to visit Miss Miss Houlihan. Yes. Um, what else we got? I need to write better. Uh, and for those of you who may not recognize the name Sorrel Book, you may recognize the television series The Dukes of Hazard, where he would go on to play Boss Hogg. Boss but I have Hogg. to admit, now let's see, the series in 72 and then The Dukes of Hazard, which I think didn't air until late 70s? Yeah, it was later. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the six or seven years that passed... Between him appearing in MASH to him appearing in The Dukes of Hazard, just looking at the same actor looks completely different, oh, yeah. and you would never guess it was the same actor. Even, even with or without the, the, yeah. the goatee or, or beard that he had. Exactly. I mean, you yeah. just, they did not, he did not look anything like, it was almost like it was a totally different actor. Well, I mean, it's probably safe to guess about an extra 150 pounds yeah, on the yeah. man well, this <laughs> between, is true. between the two shows. Uh, was he in... He's in season one a few times. But yeah, he's in there a couple he's times. He's replaced yeah. by uh, General, the bald headed general. Yeah, uh, the actor's name I think is Herb Vollen, if I'm not mistaken, oh but I don't remember off the top of my head. I remember what his Herbert. general, general, general's um, character name. Something you didn't know. Uh, in this episode, I I marked and noted that radar drinks like it ain't no thing. Oh it's yeah, it's not like Radar in future seasons where Radar takes a sip and goes. Bleh! Yeah, no. he can't handle his alcohol. He is sitting down and having a drink with the boys, and this mm-hmm. is not the first time he does it in season one. So I, I noted that that the the way characters change over mm-hmm. a series, uh, definitely just the the continuity of a long long running series is probably difficult to do, and some things you just have to brush off. But uh, like I noted in the the last. The last episode of season one, uh, you see Radar smoking a cigar. Yes. Um, so Later in the series, you get to see him smoke a cigarette. Radar is not as, shall we say, mousy. Maybe. His vo- you mean his voice? 
No, just him, his character in general. Radar mm-hmm. is not as radar as he will be. You You're know, right. like, gee golly, gee whiz. I mean, mm-hmm. he is a little bit. Yeah, little. But, you know, he'll sit down and play poker and have a drink and be one be of the guys. With it. Then, yeah. Yep. Uh, I think this might be the first time either I noticed it or it's shown in some sort of detail, but the the symbol on the door of the swamp, the swamp where the boys live, yeah. um, it is a Moorish symbol that wards off the evil eye. Yeah, I'd, I'd seen that symbol on the door and just never, I have to admit, it's one of those little details I just never thought to mention because I just, I just thought it was just something they made up, but okay. I, I have it crudely drawn here. I see and it. And I, I will say that... If you look at it quick, which you know typically in in this show, you know it's it's you're not lingering on the door very much, and this might have been the first shot where that happened. Prior to actually looking at it and trying to look it up, I thought maybe it was a plane. That's a, a lot of engines. A, a, yeah, a symbol, <laughs> a bomber symbol, or you know, B fifty two looking thing, whatever. And well, I mean, like, the, the yeah, surgeons yeah, were frequently okay. bombed. Yeah, <laughs> both either by air or by by gin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by, by land or by drink. That's right. <laughs> um, I don't remember the... Oh, this Requiem for a Lightweight. This this is where... Honey, Honeycut? No, it's not Honeycut. No, that's that's not for that's, a couple more seasons. Trapper. Trapper has Trapper. to uh, box against yes, a guy. Yes, they have to box against a guy, and they try to use the ether on the gloves yes. to knock him out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was a decent episode. It's not my favorite of the season. It That's is actually the next one. Yeah, I didn't really enjoy it that much. Um, it's actually an episode that when I would rewatch the season over, usually episode three would be one that I would skip. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Like another one that I would skip would be much later season, the one called Dreams. Where mm. it's like there's a scene where Hawkeye is in a like in a rowboat and he's got supposedly he's got no arms. Or, oh, um, okay, yeah, yeah, where Margaret is in a wedding dress that's covered in blood. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, more the... Mm. It was just an episode that I just didn't care for. Yeah. So. There, there's definitely a season, uh, an episode in the later season, the Winchester seasons, which yes. I have a hard time watching for other reasons. But we'll get to we'll that. We'll get to that. It's a teaser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have too much more down for this episode. I have one last thing. I put mm-hmm. in here that this was one episode where some scenes inside the swamp were actually filmed at the Malibu Creek State Park ranch set and not on stage nine. Or cut to stage nine Ah, upon entering the swamp. I do have one other thing. Okay. Uh, you I just, lied. I just, I just translated it from my chicken scratchings. Uh, Nurse Coulter in this, in this episode is the mom from the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movies. Ooh, that's yes. a good note. I didn't know that. Dun, da, da, da. Dun, da, da, da. I got to surprise him every once in a while. Dun, dun. Dang. Okay, so I have this next episode, episode four, which aired Chief on... Chief Surgeon o- Who. Yes, uh, October 8th, 1972. I have this marked as my favorite episode of the season. Okay. Uh, this is the one, if I remember correctly, and you will definitely tell me if I'm wrong, that uh, there is a fight for Chief Surgeon, and Henry makes Hawkeye Chief Surgeon, and makes Frank and Margaret very upset. Yes. This first appearance of Klinger. I have actor Jack Riley written down, but I do not know why. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't. Okay. Oh, wait, Jack Riley. I think he's the guy who was on Newhart a lot and was on um, Night Court a few times. They used used him in Night Court. Um, 
This has the uh, a couple of really funny lines, I thought, at uh, 1 minute 22. Swill gin, sir. I have sipped. I have well, lapped. Let, I have, have taken, taken gin, gin intravenously, but I have, but I have never, never swilled. swilled. Yes. And, of course, we get the iconic perfect driest martini recipe from Hawkeye himself, who would know it better. Six, six jiggers of gin, which is nine ounces, and drink while staring at a picture of Lorenzo Schwartz, the inventor, inventor of, of vermouth. vermouth. That yes. is the perfect dry martini. Mm. And if I drank gin, I would probably agree. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm not a gin drinker. In this episode, we also learn that Frank, Frank's wife, at least, is got a lot of money, even for the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says he has a $35,000 house. Now, this is 1950 that it's set in. And if you translate it into today's terms, a $35,000 house in 1950 is the equivalent to a $431,000 house today. That's quite a mansion. So, girl got some money. Yeah, apparently. Well, they did say... <laughs> Mar- like Margaret said, doesn't have a chance. <laughs> well, I mean, there was, there was I think in that episode about, um, well, one of the episodes later in this season, um, where, the, where we see the, apparently there's gold you know, when they want to try to find it. Well, there was a comment made by one of the doctors about Frank that he married for money. Mm-hmm. So that would, that would certainly lend towards that. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so I had a couple notes about that. Uh, I put in here, um, according to multiple website sources, the median home value in 1950 was $6,226 or 70,673 after inflation adjustment compared to a median home value of 156,000 in 2019. So that's that was what I found because mm-hmm. I think I googled something like, you know, average home price in 1950 or something like so that. So we know Frank has money, one way or another. Either yes. his wife's money, uh, his practice, which I believe on occasion Hawkeye has poked fun at, you know, mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, you just go back to your rich clients who mm-hmm. just need their wisdom tooth looked at or something." Um, and Margaret likes to bring up your country club, mm-hmm. you know, lifestyle or whatever. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, one of the other things I noted about this episode, um, this was the very first episode where you have Henry and Radar saying the same thing at the same time. Ah. Apparent, according to McLean Stevenson, apparently there is something inherently funny about two actors talking at the same time and saying the exactly same thing. Well, it's it's a joke is usually formed by something being abnormal or big or whatever. Mm-hmm. Generally, when people talk. One person talks and the other person talks, at right. least on TV for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, that way everybody knows what's going on. It is definitely a, a comedic routine when mm-hmm. the two of them just keep going. And, and especially when Radar comes in and starts saying what Henry's going to say even before yes. <laughs> he starts to say it. Yep. Or, you know, he goes to call Radar and Radar's standing right next to him. He walked into the room while he was writing something down. Definitely, that definitely became... Something in the show. Yes. Which is just definitely funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote down Hawkeye Groucho question mark. Yes. And I thought yes. maybe maybe at the start, because again, this is episode five, uh, four, that Alan Alda kind of grabbed some of, not necessarily what Groucho did, but sort of mannerisms or at least timing for stuff to portray Hawkeye. 
because he's definitely different than he is in in the movie that we're not going to talk about. Right. <laughs> um, from what I remember, so I, I just think, do you think that maybe Alan Alda sort of grabs things from the character Groucho? I know every once in a while he actually does a Groucho impersonation. Yes. He throws on the glasses and the painted uh, uh, taped mustache. Uh, if you don't know who Groucho is, go look him up. <laughs> I'm sure most of our audience probably will know who Groucho Marx is, but yes. Hopefully. Do you think, do you think maybe that Alan kind of took a, a look at Groucho and said, I'm, I'm going to loosely base some of my character on him. I, I think it changes definitely later on. I think this first season, at least first few episodes, the, the humor is, is probably more relied on sort of a slap stack, uh, slap, Slapstick? Slapstick type of deal than it is in later seasons. You know, I honestly don't know. Um, I mean, I can certainly see. I could see that. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm not. I know them by name. Mm-hmm. And the I probably. The Marx Brothers. Yeah. And I know them. I would probably recognize them in a picture, I'm mm-hmm. sure. But to be honest, I'm not really familiar with any of the. At least that I can think of. The routines. Their or routines whatever. or anything. Okay. So. Gotcha. Um, while I am sure. Or while I would say it's certainly possible that he did, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. So, see, I told you, don't know everything we'll just, about Mesh. Just, well, that's <laughs> we'll just we'll take that as an agreement. That yes, Brian, you are right. Yep. Um, Alda himself will tell you. Yes, Groucho. Um, I had uh, you mentioned that this was the first episode to appear with Klinger. Um, yes, and, and I believe he was in a dress. Yes, I think you're right. In and then episode. later, and then later, he was naked. Yes. That man's yes. naked. Klinger, <laughs> put on a dress. Anyway, um, and then I put in here, this was the second and final appearance of Sora Book as General Barker. He would not appear in any more episodes after this one. Oh, okay. Yep. And and then I have in the final scene, when Frank asks Hawkeye for assistance, Hawkeye doesn't change gloves, which are already covered in blood. I have that too. That's a big no-no. I have that too. Definitely. That's a big no-no. Hey, when so. you're in a hurry and someone's going to die. Yeah. You can cure hepatitis. Well, not cure it, but you can. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, back then, I mean, still, that was, that's a big no-no. True. But, you know, it was before certain things, <laughs> certain blood yeah. blood things. And, you know, it's like uh, if if the patient's alive for me to help him with his next disease. Right. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... All right, so let's see. Do you have anything else for Chief Surgeon Who? No, no, other than that it looks like it's my favorite episode of the season. Okay. Um, On to episode number five called The Moose. On October 15th, 1972. Not the first episode to ever deal with the topic of The Moose. Okay. There were two episodes in the series. This one dealt with, um, you know, the young young he being mm-hmm. brought in with a, you know, a visiting... What was he a sergeant? I think, I but believe. there was a, there was an episode later in the season uh, after BJ arrives, where um, Zale, played by Johnny Hamer, has a moose. Zale, that's the guy who works in the motor pool. Yes, Zelmo Zale. He was uh, the cop in the police academy. Yes, okay. yes, yes. He was in there. There we go. Connections. Um, no, wait a minute. No. No. no, you're no, you're thinking of Luther Rizzo. He was in the Police Academy movies. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Ah, Sam, which one's Sale then? He, like I said, he, the actor who played him, his name was Johnny Zamer, if I'm not hmm. mistaken. Or I'm sorry, sorry, Johnny Hamer. Hamer. But notes I have for that you mentioned Young He, 
mm-hmm. who was uh, played by Virginia Ann Lee. Yep. She appears in five episodes of the MASH run. Okay, him. Yeah. yeah All him. right. Yep. Did did uh, did the other guy take over for him? What, Rizzo? Um, kind of. Because they're yeah. the one... And was he the one that Klinger would fight with a lot, or is that the other guy? Yeah, they, no, he would fight with he would fight with uh, Zelmo uh, again. That was his first name. Um, no, I don't know that they. I don't know that him and uh, Rizzo ever fought. In uh, fact, I thought they actually got along quite well. Anyway, go ahead. This episode, um, no Frank. Okay, there's no Frank in this episode. Um, Radar is drinking again. <laughs> well, it is war. <laughs> True. And I put down, uh, this is a reference maybe some people will get, and I believe this was, I looked it up, it's after the fact, for sure. Uh, in the book, Goldfinger, okay. written by Ian Fleming, yes. it's a James Bond book, mm-hmm. they basically do, the in, the in this episode, they do a card game to, is it to win the moose? Yes. Eventually? Yes. Yeah. Because they want to try to get her away from so, him because they were appalled by the fact that someone bought yeah, a human being. The way that they're cheating at the card game yep. is exactly the way that they do it in the book. And if I remember correctly, the movie. It's been a while since I've seen the movie. See, I would Gold have never Finger. made that connection. Uh, I had the entire movie collection. I've just not seen them all yet. I, <laughs> I think the only reason why I made this connection was because at the time of watching this episode, I had just read or was reading Goldfinger. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, the um, the earpiece mm-hmm. and the microphone to the person who has yes. either binoculars or a telescope of some sort yep. over the shoulder of the person that you're playing cards with. Mm-hmm. So radar would relay to Hawkeye what Sergeant, what's his name? The moose, yeah. the moose handler had so he could... Bet or fold accordingly. Troubles in the shower. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we get the 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 hilarious. Uh, oops, boy, am I blocked? I'm, I'm going into the. <laughs> oh boy, uh, am I blocked? Staring into the into the <laughs> radar, staring into the shower tent. Yes. While he's having a drink and a yes. cigar. Yes. Such a different radar. His mom. No, he didn't. No, he didn't have a. I don't remember him having a cigar while he was while he was doing. I making a joke. Oh, okay. I missed that. See, I'm better at mash than humor. Let's see. What do I have here? Yes, you mentioned uh, Virginia Penny Lee as Young He. She would return as a singer for Henry's dinner party, Henry's going home party, both times as a singer, and lastly to play a daughter whose father was injured but didn't want to be operated on until after a local exorcist mm. would visit the 4077, ah, which yes. would be later on in season five. Yes. That was quite so a dress she wore. Definitely. Oof. Colorful. Um, and I did have a I note that said Frank in Tokyo, so maybe maybe the character was in Tokyo. Yeah, I need um, to take better notes next time. <laughs> you know, you know. Um, one thing I did notice is that there was um, there was a scene or two where Young He is wearing a hat, and it made me wonder: Did she steal Radar's hat? Because that's Radar's hat. Oh, or at least that's his style of hat. We'll have to look at that again and yes. see. Yep. Um, I read I read an article recently about Gary Bergdorf, who played Radar, and that he. Maybe maybe you told me this too, but he he picked out his outfit like he didn't get it from wardrobe. He brought mm. it to the set and he made sure that it was extra baggy to kind of I don't remember play on on radar's stature, I suppose. Oh, well, that could be trying to make is, himself look bigger. He is almost the shortest person mm-hmm. and he's, his clothes are just like the loosest and the baggiest. 
Um, I had the note, and I think looking back at the other episodes, this is the first serious episode? Serious yeah, in quotation marks, maybe? Which one, the moose? Yeah. Well, I did have a note here that it said it was it was, this episode was great in that maybe the producers wanted to tackle the issue of slavery. Yeah. And I don't know if ironic is the right word because Alanis Morissette screwed it up for me. No special in this episode. Yeah, no, he um uh Timothy Brown, um, he was not in many episodes. Very early on, but then he would come back and maybe play one or two more episodes and then that was it. And which is it, I didn't I didn't necessarily like because his character and Ugly John's character, mm-hmm. I like those characters. Yeah, I like they that they, they brought some stuff. Yeah, I don't think Timothy Brown though. I don't think his character, and this is just my opinion, but I don't. I never felt like his character really brought much to the show. John Orchard playing, you know, Ugly John a little bit more so, but I just kind of felt like Timothy Brown was just like there. I think in it's kind of like Tom Skerritt in the original movie. He was just there. We're, I mean, we're looking at episode five of of a show that ran for 251 episodes or something like that. Um, A lot's going to change. And maybe, maybe in like the first few episodes of the season, they were trying to sort of make it ensemble sort of cast where there's not, I mean, it definitely later seasons or maybe even this, even this by the end of this season, it really focused more on the two, whoever it is, you know, Hawkeye yep. and fill-in replacement here. Because um, even Frank, even the character of Frank is kind of in and out whenever they need an antagonist that isn't a war or mm. a visiting general or yep. whatever. So, yeah, maybe maybe they were trying for more of an ensemble thing with the first few episodes and then said, you know, that's a lot of stuff to write. It, it might be just, okay, we need to figure out what's character. working, what isn't working, yeah. or whatever, and then they just sort of write them out of the series. But I, st- I, I know. I, I watched them, and like I, I obviously started to notice when they weren't, when certain characters weren't around. I'm just like, oh, come on. That would have been nice if that somebody else was still there. Because <laughs> if, you, if you really think about it, the swamp got smaller. <laughs> as the season went, because you had, I don't know, was Ugly John in there? Was that his tent too? Because I know. Well, I don't, my guess would be probably not, because I don't think he was considered a surgeon, so that was mainly the doctors. So he might have had a different, I don't know, maybe he did. Because usually throughout the series, there was always that fourth bed, or that fourth bunk that was in the swamp that was rarely when, when needed. Right. What what's his name? I, I gotta stop calling him by his character's name because it's just Timothy wrong. Brown. Timothy Brown Jones. His last his character name his last name was Jones. Jones. We'll just start calling him Jones because that is. <laughs> no, I agree that 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 term is is not very <laughs> endearing. Just stop saying yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I, you know, it looked like Jones had a had a cot in in the swamp because I remember seeing him in there, you know, and, and looking up and maybe even one where they were all trying to sleep and somebody was. I'm trying to pull it out of my butt right now, but don't do that. <laughs> but uh, might be a little too much context I, I for. No, I liked. I, I think it could have been a three-man thing, and yeah. I think it might be a little early to talk about it. But we did have Trapper John left. You know the the actor decided not to do it anymore for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. You can probably find every reason under the sun on the internet right now. 
But, you know, do you think Hawkeye became too much of the show? Or do you, I mean, do you think, maybe not, let me reword, maybe they started writing for the character of Hawkeye more than everybody else and it became more of uh, a reflection of what Hawkeye was going through. I mean, I know Alan Alda started writing more and more episodes and directing more and more episodes, but um, yeah, I think that's a I think that's a fair statement because I think that you know they I thought I remembered hearing somewhere that they were definitely focusing on Alan Alda's character more, and I think there might have been you know a little resentment on the part of Wayne Rogers. I mean, they did do some character development with him. Yeah, I mean, they give him the possible opportunity to you know, to adopt a Korean child mm-hmm. who the mother has disappeared. Um, they, and you know, they did a little bit, of, you know, a few other things about him missing, missing his family and deciding he wanted to go AWOL and all this stuff. But I think that was part of it. I think there was resentment that they were focusing so much that Wayne was just like, you know, why am I here? Think- An interesting thing about him was he never actually signed a contract. So he I was able that, to get I out of the series. That. that was one of yeah. those things that you hear. Um, I wonder if, because if you, if you look at Wayne Rogers' character, which is Trapper, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Trapper and Honeycutt. If you look at it, Trapper isn't really an opposite to Hawkeye. They're they're kind of two peas in a pod. Yeah. Um, Honeycutt isn't. He's not exactly his polar opposite. Per se. I would say if you were to put BJ and Trapper together, they are polar opposites in the way they conduct their lives. BJ meaning, yes, he's the family man. He has a wife. Yeah. He has kids. But he's also the one who chooses not to have affairs. Right. You know, compared to Trapper, who didn't seem to have a problem with that. Right. I mean, just that just one con- you know, just one little context of those characters. It, it almost looks like, like Hawkeye could come in to Trapper and say, hey, am I going to do this? And Trapper would be like, yep, here we go. Mm-hmm. If if Hawkeye came in and did the same thing with tra- uh, with um, Honeycut, mm-hmm. Honeycut would be like, mm, "You sure you want to do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to say he became his you know Jiminy Cricket, but yeah. If Trapper had some sort of uh, character change, sort of sort of character development, where he became more of a Honeycut, because if you think about it, if they're writing. Trapper the way they are, and he's basically Hawkeye light. You know, there's nowhere I could see where that uh, that actor would be like. There's nowhere for me to go. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's almost like the little dog following the big dog around, going, "Yep, boss, okay, boss, here we go, boss, yeah, yeah, yeah." Yeah, yeah I can um, see that. I think maybe if they had given the character, like you know, a, a, a near death experience or something, you know, mm-hmm. and it just kind of changed him, like, "Hey, I gotta look at what I'm doing." I wonder if the character would have lasted longer, or That's if he possible. would if he wanted if he would have played it. But do you think that maybe the series focused too much on Hawkeye, or do you think it was just one of those things where we have a TV show and everybody we want the audience to have somebody to focus on? It's almost like when it's going to be a weird parallel, but when Meatloaf and Jim Steinman were doing trying to get Bad Out of Hell made. It's this is the music groups, uh, you know. Meatloaf wanted Jim Steinman's name. You know, he's the one who writes the songs. I just sing them, and like the record company is like, "Nope, we need an image. You're the image because you're the singer. 
the writer's not involved. So the show, MASH, needs an image for the audience to focus the majority of their attention on. It's Hawkeye. Do you think that happened in the show? Mm, yeah, I think yeah, I think it did. Um, whether it was intentional or not, who knows? But I mean, there were certainly more episodes that seemed to focus on him. But as the series went, you know, the series went on. I mean, the show got less funny. I mean, it was always funny, mm-hmm. but it it sort of shifted from being more to the comedy side, more to the drama side. But, you know, it was early on that, yeah, like I said, they seemed to focus a lot on Hawkeye. I mean, there were whole episodes dedicated to Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Like in season four, there's an episode where he's driving somewhere. I forget what the episode is called off the top of my head. But um, he ends up, the Jeep overturns. He ends up in this Korean family's hut. Oh, he has the head injury. Yeah, he has the head injury. And he's telling jokes and talking about the bones in his hands and all these different things. I mean, it was him and the Korean family are the only, that's it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like BJ would have an episode called, uh, I think it was called BJ, BJ Papasan or something like that, where he comes across this, this Korean family that's kind of needy and they're, you know, because they're, I think their father was injured or something like that. So he, you know, would go and take after the kids and look after them and fix their hut and do all this stuff. Um, and then there was, of course, there was episodes that were dedicated to Margaret. There was stuff that Charles would do, but it always seemed to come back to Hawkeye. But I think later on in the series, they, I think they started to do a little bit more character development with the other characters, um, where it seemed like early on it was a lot of Hawkeye. Not that I'm against that, but right, right, know, right. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, you need you, you want that. I don't know, maybe that comfort of knowing that okay, the good the guy, one the hero is, is going to be here. Or it's like you like go that. to see this band play, you know. Yeah, and, exactly. But you go to see Genesis, and they yes. don't they don't play. That song, you know, yeah. whatever that song is right. to anybody, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, yeah, I could see that, you know. And I, I want to, I want to look at later when we get into later seasons. I definitely want to look at the ratio to Hawkeye and other characters because you, you did remind me what then the other people come in, particularly like when Charles Emerson Winchester comes in. The Fud. It is. He does have a character arc. He does oh, yeah. have development that's more than Frank Burns ever got. You know? Well, they, they and, said when and, they got rid of – when Frank they, – they said early, the producer said, yeah, we knew we were shortchanging Larry Linville's character. Mm-hmm. We knew that. So when he decided, he says, you know, when Larry – I remember there was a, an interview where he said there was just nothing else I could do with the character. Right. So he leaves the series and so, okay, how do we replace him? Well, instead of them being the, um, the, the, the lesser of the doctors mm-hmm. – now we need somebody who is better right. than the others. And so there, there's a whole storyline right there. You yeah. Know? yeah. So and, yeah. they wanted, instead of an inferior doctor, now they have a superior doctor who might just be better right. than the lead character. Who, who probably is better, but has to, if you look at it, meatball surgery, you know, obviously Hawkeye is better at it when Charles comes in. But Charles has is a better surgeon outside of that. When, mm-hmm. You know, you do everything proper. Mm-hmm. But you know, if he became a better surgeon after learning, hey, you don't do that because you don't have time because there's another person. But yeah, yep. Which again, yeah, you can do that. a Bauer section in twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. Do you, I, I circle back to the moose? Uh, first serious episode? Do you think? Because they are basically talking about slavery. Somebody was mm-hmm. bought. Yep. Um, yeah, I would say so. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. I mean, with the episode. When, the, when they the, write these and, and send them in or whatever. But, you know, maybe the first little, see if the 
the powers that be will let us do this mm-hmm. sort of thing. Well, right. throw this throw this in. Throw a little cayenne pepper in that chili and see if they notice how hot. Ah, guarantee. Test the waters, but yeah. uh, no, I, I think I think so. I think it was definitely in the first uh, serious episode. Of course, that'll get blown out of the water with the ep- another episode that's coming up. But um, yeah, I think so. So uh, the next episode, episode six, October twenty second, my wedding day. Yay, nineteen seventy two, different year. Uh, Yankee Doodle Doctor. Yes. First appearance of General Clayton, who was in seven episodes. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember, I, I need to write this stuff down when I watch these episodes, what the episode's about. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember what the well, episode is about. Well, it's interesting because it's this episode that you mentioned the whole Groucho Marx thing. Because it's this episode he does, he where he appears, he, he appears as Groucho Marx. In the movie. In the movie that they make. Yes. Yes. Um, no, you, you mentioned that. That's the one note that I have here. First appearance of Herb Volland as Brigadier General Crandall Clayton, who replaced Brigadier General Charles Hammond, played by actor G. And Wood. This is the. Is this the general that is the shorter, tubbier general or the yeah. taller, skinnier, no, darker Her- complexion Herb, general? Herb Volland, yeah, he, okay. he had the white hair. I mean, he was, he, I would say, probably a little stockier than G. Yeah. Wood's character, um, or G. Wood as an actor. Um, but yeah, he would like you said he would go on to play in like probably seven or so episodes. So. Yeah, we're we're in the realm of the two generals at this point. Yes, uh, the one guy who actually came from the movie, which we're not going to mention. Um, I put I'm trying to remember what the movie was about, but I put in my notes the end of the movie in quotes. As in the hint, man, you're talking about the Mash movie. Uh, no, the the Yankee Doodle Doctor. The, oh, the episode, the movie, the movie that they show. Oh, oh, they oh, make, oh, the homemade movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which Sorry. I'm trying to remember what it is. I, I okay. apologize immensely that I didn't write down what these episodes were about. Uh, the end of the movie that they made within the in the show, um, a hint of more serious things to come. Because if I'm trying to remember that the the movie that they made was like sort of a the general wanted like a propaganda type deal. Of mash units. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is what mash units are doing. Yeah. Aren't they great? The boys are up at the front. Woohoo! Buy bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, you know Hawkeye does the Groucho thing. Mm-hmm. But at the end, has sort of he's a, sitting there talking to the camera, a, and he does a serious thing. It says, yeah. "You know, there are no saints in surgical garb." There, yeah. you know, it's like young men die. This is Jerry or Springer moment. Yeah, <laughs> here we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But he said, you know, it's like, but you know. I, I, I don't remember the exact speech. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember little bits of it, but he said, but then again, no war is a comedy or something right. to that effect. But and I think then he of said something the, like, there's no punchline here. It's yeah, just exactly. this, is, this boy here, he's talking about a patient, I think yeah, I it's remember like correctly. Two hours ago, this boy was injured in a war. One hour yes. ago, we operated on him. He's mm-hmm. got a 50-50 chance. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that, there was there was definitely some seriousness there also. And then, you know, even in the general, even the general himself, it says, Keep that bit, my intro, and that bit where Pierce is talking at the end. Everything yeah, else yeah, get yeah. rid of. But keep a copy of it because we all have to have something to laugh about. Yes, yes. <laughs> and this is before – it's here somewhere. Yeah, episode 17, which I think some people consider the turning point. Sometimes you hear the bullet. Sometimes you hear the bullet. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I think this episode, the Moose episode, definitely them – putting some things in saying, hey, this isn't just a sitcom. You know, we're not just going to be doing the laugh, 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 a little bit of blood. Uh, yeah. Laugh, 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 laugh. Right. Even though even the end of the, which when we get to the end of the season, 
there was something I was a little disappointed with with the end of the season, but I can understand why they did it that way. Um, anything else for Yankee Doodle Doctor? I didn't have much for that one. No, not, mm-hmm. it, there, I don't think there's a lot there other than the the hint at the end, the the this the button on the coat, <laughs> the nail on the head, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, episode seven. I don't have too much for this one. Bananas, I have a couple of things. Bananas, crackers, crackers, and, and nuts. nuts. November 5th of 1972. Yep. I have Stuart Margolin. Yeah, Stuart Margolin. Plays Captain Sherman. Yep, Philip Sherman. Captain Sherman. Okay, not Potter. Sherman. Yes. Uh, later plays Major Robbins. And Surgeon is, to the Stars. And is Angel on the Rockford Files. I remember the Rockford Files watching it maybe an episode or two as <laughs> at when you know when it was live when it was being made, uh-huh. but uh, I haven't seen an episode since then. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I know uh, that the main actor—I can't think of his name off the top of my head—but James Gardner. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I knew you know I knew yeah. he was in it, but that was about it. Um, what I have here, let's see. Uh, there was a scene while Hawkeye is enjoying his piece of liver. There is a Heinz ketchup oh. bottle sitting next to his plate with the Heinz label covered up. Oh, I, you know, because there were certain things you you could not advertise right. in the series. Like I remember in the eleventh eleventh seri- season, there's a scene where they're um, they're passing out chocolate bars, and you could tell by looking at the wrapper that it was Hershey's. But they yeah. had to, they had brown tape that would actually cover the word Hershey's. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't notice that. Yeah, so. actually, most of the things that I that I remember seeing in, mm-hmm. in the show were basically generic army things. You know, yep. like a can of corn is. Corn on a white label. Right, exactly. <laughs> so somebody could probably handwrite yeah. it and it would have been fine. Spam. <laughs> um, no, you meant, yeah, like just like you said, you mentioned that um, first two episodes guest star Stuart Margolin, mm-hmm. or Margolin is pronounced, first as psychiatr- psych- psychiatric, psychiatrist Captain Philip Sherman, then later as a surgeon to the stars hoping to meet the Barracuda while performing elective surgery on a soldier with a larger-than-normal nose, playing none other than Todd ah. Sussman, one of the PA announcers during the series. Ha-ha-ha. Yes. <laughs> um, episode eight, the Cowboy. Cowboy. Yes, November twelfth, nineteen seventy-two. First and only um, guest appearance by Billy Greenbush. This is another sort of serious, semi-serious. Yeah, se- I mean, because you know he basically wants to kill Henry. That's, that's yeah. That's basically kind of serious. Um, yeah. The, the the acts or the um, effects of war on someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did mention Billy Greenbush. Uh, he um, he stars in the Cowboy, and he was in an episode of Aftermath as the Stranger. Billy Greenbush. <laughs> yes. Really. Yeah. I have tried to find that series. I don't know if it's available anywhere. I don't think it's available streaming. Um, I could be wrong. I haven't seen it anywhere. Although almost everything's on YouTube nowadays. I've seen um, a couple of episodes, but the video quality is terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. I you're mean, not, just not, terrible. Yeah, you're not going to have any... So hopefully somebody will dig up the original yeah. the f- we original film reels. 40-some years old. Exactly. So. Um, I did have a continuity error that I, that I spotted. Um, definitely not the same actor playing the patient on the helipad. This is the, if I remember correctly, the Cowboys bringing in another patient mm-hmm. and they run up to grab the patient and put him on the Jeep to take him to OR. Um, I put that it's definitely not the same actor that you see on the helipad that you see in OR. I unfortunately did not put down why. What is the matter with you? Maybe it you... was different colored hair. Maybe it was bigger build, smaller build, but I definitely noticed. And I remember looking at this more than once. Okay. Uh, 
that it that it was definitely not the same actor. You sure it wasn't Captain Toby Hill's dummy that would uh, fly on one side of the chopper? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> anyway, um, I had a couple of notes here. Uh, when Radar sends the fitness report in for Henry to sign, there is a piece of tape across the back of the paperclip holding the papers in place. Apparently, the paperclip wasn't enough. I guess. You know, the scene where I'm talking where he's got that, like, I don't know what you call it, a fishing pole thing that he's, like, you know, extending, and it would go so he could oh, sign yeah, him yeah. because Radar didn't want to be anywhere near him because he was afraid he was going to get killed. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, now, this this was, uh, this is, okay, now you're, now you're going to get an idea of just how much of a nerd I am about things I notice. <laughs> I put in my notes here, I said, nerd alert. Uh, while Cowboy is flying Henry to Seoul, the helicopter's main rotor can be seen moving at different speeds while in the air. Initially way too slow to, you know, one was initially way too slow to achieve flight. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, we we could attribute that to uh, frame rate for the camera right. recording them. Uh huh. No, I don't if think you've so. Ever, if you've ever recorded a helicopter mm-hmm. uh, for video or on your phone or anything, you, you, depending on what frame rate your video is set up at, it could look like the rotors aren't moving at all. This is true. It's very very neat effect. You, you definitely notice but, it more with a with a prope- propeller on a plane. But yes. I know exactly what you're talking yes. about. Uh, but you know, but no, this is definitely not the case. There was a scene where I mean that that rotor was barely, you know, was just just nice and slow, and then later it's like really fast. He was and, trying you know. to crash it, so you know. Well, I don't think. I, well, it's true. He was the only one that had a uh, parachute, if I remember correctly. Yes. yes. So, yeah, because otherwise, you know, he's going to try to push him out. It's like, well, don't worry, because we don't, because it'll break your fall. It's like, why don't I have a parachute? You know. <laughs> anyway. Um. Yeah, I didn't have too much more than that. Uh, a little more of a stab of. Of what happens to people in war uh, yeah, for the cowboy. I thought the actor who played the cowboy was really good. Yeah, I like Billy Greenbush. Yeah. The only other thing, I know he's done a lot of things, but the the other thing that I remember him from, only because I have the series, was he appeared in a two-part episode of The Incredible Hulk, oh. uh, the Bill Blixby series. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say it was maybe season three or season four, but the episode was called The First, where there was another person who was afflicted with the Hulk yeah, yeah. phenomena right. before Bill Bixby was. Wow. But only that person found a cure. Uh-huh. Was, so, that, was that Billy? Uh, he plays the town sheriff. Oh, okay. No, yeah, he was a sheriff. Gotcha. Um, but no, it, it unfortunately, of course, that did not lead to a cure for him because it was destroyed by the Bad Hulk. But anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> episode nine, Henry, please come home. I have nothing for this episode. I have a few notes here. This was the last appearance of actor G. Wood as General Hammond. Okay. Yeah, my understanding was is that sometimes throughout the series, the order, the the air date order of each episode, sometimes they were not always filmed in that order. That makes sense. So we have an episode where we had General Crandall Clayton in the Yankee Doodle Doctor, mm-hmm. but then we go back to G. Wood. So maybe Henry, please come home. Maybe it was filmed before. Right. They the, might the Yankee Doodle Doctor. They might put the episodes in an order that's you know sort of like when you record songs. Mm-hmm. And you put them on an album. You you put them in a certain order so there's a flow. Right. You know. You put the um, you put the the bad ones in the middle. Yes. <laughs> uh, Which we are kind of in the middle with episode nine and ten yep. almost. Uh, let's see here. This was the second appearance of actress Virginia Penny Lee, who played Young He in mm-hmm. The Moose. Um, she was one of the singers during Henry's dinner party. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake. So was the th- lyric in the song. This is the episode where Henry gets transferred to Tokyo. Yeah, he gets promoted. Promoted to, and transferred. He gets promoted to the, I forget what the, but I remember the general giving him the award or the promotion. It was fourth class. <laughs> so. And, of course, Frank. 
gets put in charge yes. because he's the next highest officer. And of course, we can't have that because yes. it's it's you know by the book doesn't work when you're working for, with a bunch of meatball surgeons. Exactly. And so they, uh, Trapper and Hawkeye, try to get Henry to come back. Please, Henry, come home. Yeah, please come home. So we had to pretend that Radar needed uh, exploratory surgery, you know, or whatever, because apparently Henry was the best diagnostician. I hope I pronounced that right. In Sounds right. Bloomingdale, Illinois. So, um, <laughs> you know, so they're so like, we're going home. We're going to do an exploratory. But, um, yeah, a couple of my notes here, um, and this was, I think, compliments of one of the various online resources I've used for some of my research. Um, there is a scene where Radar is reading a comic book Uh-oh. in this episode. And in it, what he is reading is, in one scene is the January 1969 issue of Captain Savage and his Battlefield Rangers. Well, you know, Radar... Comic book errors occurred several times during the series. Radar obviously can predict the future. Well, apparently. He has a way of doing it. Well, this is he, true. He demonstrates that time and time again. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, he's got... Yeah. He's got he so got, he somehow managed to get a hold of a comic ways. book that would actually not appear until 1969. He wanted to know how it, how the story progressed. Yeah. So <laughs> his bear, his bear is actually from the year 1980. Oh, okay. I don't know. Maybe he maybe <laughs> he had years access, in the future. <laughs> maybe he had access to a DeLorean. I don't know. <laughs> um, one thing that just popped into my head about this episode. Uh, spoiler alert: Henry Blake dies. <gasps> In the series. Okay. You know this, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, th- I think that's how you it didn't, ends. You didn't skip that episode. No. <laughs> um, do you think that Hawkeye and Trapper should be held liable for Henry's death since he may not have died if he stayed in Tokyo? Are you kidding me with this? <laughs> Um, I... The hard-hitting moral questions. Well, I mean, considering that his reason for going home was the fact that he was discharged. Uh-huh. Um, but if which, he was discharged from there, if he may not even have left Tokyo... Um... They're crazier than I am. Yeah, he might have, he might have, uh, might have survived. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, radar was more important. <laughs> um, and then, uh, the other thing I noticed, I, that I, again, through my research, because I noticed that, um... Uh, the helicopter that uh, Henry flies and the surgeons fly back to the 4077. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a French Aeropostale Alouette 2, which actually didn't come out in real life until 1955. You noticed that, did you? I did. <laughs> you said, no, nah, that is we. Yep. This is not Jacques. It yep. is a French helicopter. Yep. And, it was Nine. Ne- and the thing was, is that particular helicopter was actually not used in the U.S. Armed Forces. Eh. Again, this was based on information that I come across in my research. The uh, the the director had a friend who had one, and he wasn't going to charge him too much for using it. Uh, you might be right, <laughs> and so. he could fly it. Uh, episode ten. I hate a mystery. November twenty sixth, nineteen seventy two. Uh, last last appearance of Jones, as we're calling him now. Mm-hmm. To refrain, I may even go back and edit out all the other ones. Um, yeah, I hate a mystery. I didn't have too many notes on this one, so it wasn't an episode that really caught my attention. If I remember correctly, things are being stolen. Yes, from people in the camp, mm-hmm. and uh, much to his chagrin, uh, Hawkeye tries to find out who it is mm-hmm. and dresses in character 
to mm-hmm. to reveal. Um, I believe Hydra Clark Aflatarison. I believe it's supposed to turn your hands blue. The title of this episode is a play on words to a a mystery novel, maybe. Could be. If I think I'm trying to remember, but I I can't. Um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot for this episode. I have a few notes. Um, this was the first episode for Radar's teddy bear to make an appearance. Ah, which his name is? I don't know. Nobody? Does anybody know? I don't know that he ever gave his teddy bear a name. Oh. Okay. Like I said, if we ever establish an email address, or if you know someone out there listening <laughs> may know the answer, feel free to email us. But uh, Let's see. Um, this was the only time that you would ever see Hawkeye with a cigarette in his mouth. Hmm. Well... Yeah, he's doing the shtick at the end. Yeah, he's playing the role of the, you know... The he, he borrowed one from Radar. <laughs> Probably, because Radar smokes <laughs> in an episode later in the, later in the series. Uh, let's see. Um, okay, yes. Uh, uh, this is t- a technical goof again, nerd alert. Um, Hojan sta- attends Hawkeye's late-night meeting, even though his name is never actually called on the PA. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, a little technical <laughs> detail. And finally, one of my favorite scenes throughout the series is when Henry is conducting a search of all the tents. He decides he wants to know what's inside the pipe that leads up from the stove. Soot, sir. And we'll, we'll be the judge of that. And he shakes it, and all of a sudden, here's all this black stuff falling on his face. My question is, what was that stuff really? Was it really soot, or was it something else? Maybe yeah. chocolate powder? You know, I'm guessing. If if you haven't soot seen to me this episode... Suggests, that suggests to me potentially maybe a little dangerous. If you haven't seen this episode, yes, it's an old-fashioned stove. It's just a metal pipe that goes up through the roof of the tent. Mm-hmm. And Henry takes it apart and looks up at it and just... The, Gets his face covered in yeah, the, soot. the actor who is... The actor's name... Oh, McLean Stevenson? Yeah, McLean Stevenson. Is, I I, remember, I do remember re-watching this scene a couple times. Mm-hmm. And not just for the comedic value, but to look at him... And see how much of this is actually in his face. Yeah, this is. Not, I mean, it's like right in his eyes. It, it is not a light material. No, I mean, and he, what a trooper! He really he opens his eyes, you know, and it, you can just tell that. Oh my God, he must have ran to the Iowa station if they had one. But yeah, what a trooper! That, yeah. That, I that, truly would. I would. You know, if there, I wonder if there's any way to find out what that black stuff was, but. Maybe because I, I don't think it would be you know because toner didn't exist then, <laughs> which would have been exceptionally dangerous. Um, Very well, I mean, what um, else could you have used? Like black it, chalk? Know, would it be graphite? Because I th- remember it being maybe a little shiny. It could be, but maybe just like black, whatever it was, it was black not, chalk. It was not thin. Like it was not a no. It was a powder. Yeah, it was. It had some depth to it. So yeah. Um, Kudos to McLean Stevenson for for doing that, and hopefully he was definitely a trooper. Hopefully, they only had to do it once. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, let's. We need to do that. We need to do another take on that. On, no. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, mm. uh, episode eleven, Germ Warfare, mm-hmm. uh, December tenth, nineteen seventy two. I have no notes for this one. I have a few. Another humdrum episode for yep. me i think um this was the last appearance of timothy brown as lieutenant jones oh i had that for the last episode no he was the this, previous episode yep, no this was the last episode for him and also the second and last appearance of karen phillips who played lieutenant dish really mm-hmm. is she in ceasefire mm, no She's not. There, there is an actress. I know who you're talking about because there's a point where the actress is going around. She goes to hug Radar, picks him up off his feet a little bit, or whatever, gives him a big hug, and goes walking no, on. But that's not I, her. 
I'm talking about the the two, the two or three. I just watched it, so I should remember, but I don't. There's the blonde, uh, the, the the two girls that Hawkeye basically breaks up with because they both think they're going to get married. Mm-hmm. That and was not Lieutenant Dish. They didn't say Lieutenant Dish. I don't know. Because it was the blonde, if unless the blonde with ch- the longer hair and the big teeth, and then the brunette with the short hair. Yeah, that was uh, Marcia Strassman, I think, was the actress's name. And she wasn't playing Dish? I think it was that one played Margie Cutler, I think. Oh, I'm going to have to watch that episode. Again. Um, but no, the the actress who played Lieutenant Dish, she was only just in Karen Phillips only in the two episodes. Maybe it was a different actress then. But I could have sworn I've seen that actress before. You it, you may be right. I just, but the, if, unless they couldn't get Karen Phillips to come back for that episode yeah, in Ceasefire, but it was not, that was not Karen Phillips. Okay. So... At least I'm pretty certain that was. Uh, what was germ warfare about? Do you remember? I don't remember. Uh, let's see. If I'm not mistaken, um, they they have a um, they have a POW a POW. Thank you. Uh, the POW that comes in with hepatitis, and it's because the doctors decide to um, do a blood transfusion with Frank because he was the only one in the camp with the with AB negative or yeah. whatever. Um, and then and they then, have to tell him by telling him he needs to get a hepatitis yeah. test yeah they well okay. because the pow comes down with hepatitis after the fact yeah only to find or out that it was it. not because of frank even though they did find that frank was anemic um but yeah that was the reason why and then so what they ended up having to do is they had to trick him into um they was it they they had him try several different kinds of beer to th- try to get him to taste it because they know beer goes right through him Oh, to get him to pee. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, let's see here. Let's see. After Frank finishes breakfast in the mess tent, he doesn't bother to bust his tray. How rude. How rude. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, the first of several appearances by Byron Chung, who is the POW with hepatitis. Ah. Yes. Uh, episode 12, the oh, first. Wait, I got one oh, more. You got more. He's got yeah, more. I got one more. Uh, this was a goof. Um, this was based on um, the research I came across. It said, while it is true that AB blood, AB negative blood, excuse me, is the rarest of the blood types, people with AB negative can receive blood from donors with A minus or A minus, A negative, B negative, <laughs> and O negative blood. Apparently, uh, it would have been better f- to find a donor with his actual blood type, but these other blood types would have been acceptable, apparently. Gotcha. <laughs> So. Uh, episode 12. Dear Dad. The first of the Dear Dad yes. episodes. Very good episodes, actually. I know these run through the first season, but do they carry it on in future seasons, to your knowledge? No. Dear Dad, I believe all three episodes, I think, were only in season one. Only the premise is only in those? Okay. I'm pretty sure. Uh, the Dear Dad episodes are basically Hawkeye, for the most part, recounting a certain time period at the MASH 407 uh, and the, the catalyst of the telling of the story is he's writing a letter to his father. So it's a lot of voiceover and what you would believe would be like recreations of Actually, what I think I'm wrong. Mm. Dear Dad and Dear Dad again in season one and there was a Dear Dad 3 which I believe was in season two now that you mentioned. Um, we'll see. I have second appearance of Klinger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe, let me read my notes here. Yes, this is the episode where <laughs> Frank Burns pisses off Klinger by telling him to remove his handkerchief. Yes. In this episode, Klinger is not dressed in a dress. Nope. He is dressed in, uh, you know, normal 
normal <laughs> uh, uniform fatigues. No, mm-hmm. Yeah, uniform. Um, he's carrying a tray of specimens, and Frank makes him drop it, and they get into a, a fist fight. Mm-hmm. Um, he later he he leaves after I think he knocks Frank out. Mm-hmm. Clinger leaves and comes back with a hand grenade mm-hmm. to blow up Frank. Yes, and Father Mokehi stops him from yes. doing that. Yes. Um, I found it interesting that, especially with the way, even at this point in the series, the way Frank's character is, you know, established as a by-the-book person, there is no consequences that we see True. from the fistfight alone. I don't know if Frank later heard about yeah. the grenade, but definitely not the knocking uh, a superior officer out, court-martial mm-hmm. type deal. Apparently doesn't happen for Clinger. Well, when the, when, um, the, when the fight breaks out there in, in the post-op, mm-hmm. you know, eventually, um, you know, the, um, what was it? There's an MP that comes walking in who would also play a chopper pilot in a later episode. Um, but uh, he comes in, he says, okay, Father, where where where's the bad guy or something like that? It's like, yeah. um, wake him, he's exhausted. It's like, who exhausted him? Yeah. Um, you know, but like I said, he not only does Klinger not get in trouble for, you know, striking Spear Officer, but mm. also threatening him with death. Like yeah. you said, there's there never seems to be a consequence. So thankfully because, you know, he recurred and stayed and made some great storylines <laughs> from that series. It's true. This is true. Um this was the first Christmas themed episode. Yeah. Did yeah. I say Christmas? Christmas themed episode. That was the other thing that I noted that the end of the episode is basically they leave the the episode ends with Hawkeye on the battlefield in a Santa outfit. That's not how it ends. Let's remember how it ends. That for the main part of the episode, yes, but at the very end, just before the credits roll, there was a little short scene where Hawkeye is still in his his um, Santa outfit, but he's removed most of the mm-hmm. cotton or whatever from his face for the beard and stuff. You can still see like remnants of it from the glue and whatever oh. spirit gum so that they use. So it's like, oh, everything's yeah. okay. But he's oh, laying well. there in bed finishing his letter oh, finishing to his the letter. dad. Yeah. Okay. That's how the episode ends. But um, one thing that I did know, there was a goof. It shows, it's I think a continuity issue. It says, when Hawkeye is in the mess tent, Trapper can be seen sitting at the next table. But when Hawkeye walks outside, all of a sudden Trapper is outside throwing a football. He can move really fast. I guess so. Some time. Well, you know. So. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, my number episodes here jump from 12 to 17. So I guess I didn't really have much to say about the okay. five episodes well, I've in got, between. I've got some stuff here for episode <laughs> I, 13, which was called Edwina. I just noticed that. Wow. I hope I watched them. <laughs> yeah, I hope you did too. You never studied. So let's see here. Um, I had this was the first appearance of the MASH signpost. Uh, best care anywhere? No, the signpost that sits outside the swamp with all the various oh, like, was home, it home Tokyo towns. this way and yeah, and Honolulu this way. Yeah, and, yep. So yep, that was the first episode um, indicating you know it's the mash signpost where it indicated distances to various places, and the first and only appearance of Arlene Golanka, who played Edwina Eddie Ferguson. She would go on to play various roles in several movies and TV shows, including Murder, She Wrote, In the Heat of the Night, Matlock, and a short-lived series called First and Ten, where she played a character named Edna. <laughs> what is it about her with characters, you know, character starts with letter E. So, but yeah, that was the episode where 
Eddie had no luck with men, and all the other nurses decided to try to support her. That she they was a would klutz, wasn't she? She was, yeah, a little bit klutz, ner- nervous maybe. Um, but they all decided that uh, they're not going to have anything to do with the doctors until somebody makes Eddie their own. Gotcha. This so. sort of sexual blackmail. Something like that. Yeah. And they all draw straws, don't they? Yes. And, of course, as luck would have it, our hero, Hawkeye, got the short straw. What are you doing? Okay. There are 11 cities named on the signpost that okay. we first see okay. for the first time in this episode. Okay. How many can you name? Uh, the only couple that come, off to, that come up to me would be, I want to say, San Fernando Valley. Nope. No? Okay. No, no San Fernando Valley. Somewhere in California. San Francisco, maybe? San Francisco is there. Okay. Uh, Honolulu. Mm, yes, Honolulu. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, I think I've got notes in here somewhere where oh, one location appeared twice. It did. I yep. just noticed that. Yeah. Um, Do you know which I, location it is? It's no. really close to them. No. I. Uh, uh, Tokyo. You, you, you could probably sell it. Just tell the, me what it to is. To the devil. Oh, okay. Just tell me what it is. I don't. Soul. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> it is Boston. Okay. Seoul, Coney Island, San oh. Francisco. Okay. Tokyo, Burbank. Funny enough, because they were filming this really close to Burbank. Mm-hmm. Death Valley. Oh, that's to- right. Toledo. So who was from Death Valley? Because I thought a lot of those locations were supposed to be from where, like, some of the actors, or sorry, some of the characters were supposed to be from. Mm. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, never made the correlation. Uh, let's see. Toledo, Decatur, Seoul again, mm-hmm. and Honolulu. Okay. Are the ones on the base. If If this was indication of where people were from, um, Boston... Maybe Charles was from Boston, but this is well, I, I, don't, I don't know. There is later this, in the series. Yeah, there's a scene where particular signpost. Charles is seen adding Boston to the okay. top of the signpost. Okay, yep. of course the top. Well, of course, of course. But he didn't know the miles because he didn't put it in there. Yep. Seoul. Who would be from Seoul? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Coney Island. Well, Seoul for them probably would a place for them to go on vacation to take a holiday. Perhaps. That's why, right, sorry. Their, that's why it's on there we twice. Called it, they called it R&R. That's why it's on there twice. West and Wewaxation. Coney, Coney Island. Anybody? I don't know. It's not a place you'd be from, though. I mean, yep. that's a place you would go. You'd want to go to Coney Island. Uh, Coney Island used to be, probably still might be, uh, not too sure, A uh, an amusement park, basically, in New York City, New York yeah. area. San Francisco. Was Trapper from San Francisco? No, he was from Boston. Trapper was from Boston. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tokyo, probably just another BJ, place. BJ, he was from uh, the... Toledo's probably the only one that we know for sure. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> BJ, he was from uh, Mill Valley, California. Okay. And anybody who's from Death Valley. And if I remember correctly, apparently Mill Valley, maybe not today, I'm not sure, but I remember somebody who's who lived in California, it's a good friend of mine, um, He, uh, I think he mentioned that Mill Valley was sort of a well-to-do neighborhood. Oh. Now, maybe it was back then. Maybe it still is. I don't know. Well, you know, these are doctors. This is true. So, those are only notes that I had for... Uh, 13. Um, would you put your martini down? You're going to be drunk before we get through the rest of this podcast. <laughs> before. Yeah. I mean, what is this? Ice? You put ice in there? <laughs> God. 
Anyway, episode 14. This one was called Love Story. Okay. I'll, I'll give you two you'll, two words and you'll know exactly what episode it was. <laughs> ah, Bach. Ah, Bach. <laughs> yes. This is the one where uh, Radar is hotsy-totsy for one of the new nurses. Yes, this was after he got... Her. Yes, this was actually after he got a Dear John recording uh, from his girlfriend from home. And, you know, was this, uh, was it a record? Yes. Or was it really it was, real? Yeah, a little vinyl a recording. Little record. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> Getting a recording and oh, interesting one of, but here's one of my little notes, but I'll get to that in just a second. The actress, Kelly Jean Peters, who plays Lieutenant Louise Anderson, who is the, who is the nurse that arrives on scene, mm-hmm. um, the one that Radar is smitten with, was actually born in 1940 in another than Columbus, Ohio. Ah. Yes. We are we are recording in Columbus, Ohio. That's right. The second best place on earth. Yep. What's the first place? Anywhere else. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. All right. Yeah, I can I can see that. All right. Um but anyway, but in that recording that Radar receives, you can hear a female and a, and a male voice. Mm-hmm. I the male voice, okay, is that of Dennis Fimple. Fimple? That was his last name is Fimple. That's the actor's <laughs> name. Um he would go on to play in one episode of a later episode of Mesh, it was the episode called Tuttle, which we'll get to shortly. Okay. He is the character you see who plays Sparky. Oh, Sparky. Yes. But it is his voice that you hear on the recording. Now, the female voice, I can't prove it, mm-hmm. but I believe it was the voice of Linda M- Michael John, Michael John, who played Lieutenant Leslie Scorch in several episodes. Okay. Yeah, you would have to hear her voice, but I think it's that actress, but I'm not 100% certain. And then the other note I had here, uh, let's see. Yeah, this was what we had already talked about. This was a, a, you know, some sort of a goof. During the scene where Hawkeye, Trapper, and Radar are walking around the outside of the swamp, the signpost shows Tokyo twice, one at the top and the other at the bottom. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's changed. Yep. All right, moving on to episode 15. This was one of my personal favorites, Tuttle. Tuttle. Yes. This is the one where they make up an officer for what was the reason? Um, they made up an officer because what they what the doctors were trying to do was to help a local orphanage or uh, some nuns help the orphanage by making. Oh, they up wanted his pay. To, they wanted to, yeah, they wanted to help. Okay, with yeah. So yeah, because the, they they were giving him or giving them a bunch of like medical supplies, and it's like, well, who's in charge of all these you know these these things? And it's like, well, it's Tuttle. Tuttle. Yeah. So, Tuttle. Yeah. Tuttle. And yeah, my favorite part of this episode is when they put in the information where they're writing down Tuttle's personal personnel form mm-hmm. and they get to the description of Mr. Tuttle. Yes. And they go, Ooh, here's something for Houlihan. And they yes. make him, you know, Auburn six, hair, six They make him four. six foot something, you know, yes. hundred and something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay, so <laughs> And her her reading that later with Frank next to her and she's like Oh, <laughs> oh hair. Mm. Yes. Margaret. <laughs> uh-huh. And, yeah, this was Jonathan Tuttle's first and never appearance. Right. <laughs> so Henry and Frida, I'm sure, must be proud. And I just, I remember everybody being so so proud that they, they had met him. Oh, yeah, I just had dinner with him last yeah. week. Like, yep. <laughs> last night with... But I was just with Mr. Tuttle. Yes. <laughs> yes, everybody all of a sudden knows Tuttle and nobody's ever uh, met him. Uh, let's see. According to some research that I did, uh, Tuttle serial number 3972996. This was the serial number of show producer Larry Gelbart from his time in the army. Ah. Again, through research. Did Tuttle die 
at the end? Did they kill him? Yes, he jumped out. He went to go do a field surgery, and he took everything with him except the one thing that a surgeon would need, a parachute. (laughs) So, uh, let's see. He was flying with the cowboy. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Let's see here. Some additional notes. I actually have quite a few notes on this episode. Um, When General Clayton arrives, he salutes the camp personnel assembled before him, and they return the salute. When personnel are assembled in formation, the individual in charge should have called them to attention, and then that individual alone would have given a salute on behalf of the entire formation. (laughs) So, yep. Yeah, nerd alert. Uh, Let's see what else do I have here. Okay, although the character of Sparky is mentioned in many episodes throughout the series, this is the only episode where he is actually seen. This was the aforementioned uh, actor Dennis Fimple. So... Uh, let's see. Um, ah, Tuttle is the only character in the series who gets a billing credit, but never existed. <laughs> <laughs> said Jonathan Tuttle as himself. As himself. Yes. And finally, let's see. The one and only appearance, uh, and I never know how to pronounce his last name. Maybe you might know. Um, the guy who shows up with Tuttle's back pay. Uh, James B. Saking? No idea. Um, who would go on to play roles in Hill Street Blues, and he also played um, as uh, as the father in Doogie Howser. Oh. Yes. Well, there you go. Yeah. And probably one of those character actors that it, as soon as you see him, you're like, oh, that yeah. guy. And I also know him from Star Trek Three. So he was the captain of the Excelsior. He was he was with the clerk, or the, the, the court officer. My court. Oh. Um... <laughs> No, no, it was no. That was a different scene. No, that was a different scene. Anyway, inside joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, on to episode sixteen, the ring banger, where oh, Leslie Nielsen Leslie makes Nielsen. his one and only appearance, and is the only guest actor to be billed as a special guest star. Ooh, now this is nineteen seventy-three. Mm-hmm. What had I, I would assume that Leslie had done Police Squad mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. I wonder if this is his first, I don't know if you call it a dramatic role. He's definitely not going for the laughs. No, no um, this was definitely not an episode where he was going for Leslie laughs. Leslie Nielsen, if you don't know, look him up. He, hilarious, hilarious person who could also do the serious thing. Mm-hmm. I wonder if this was before Airplane. Yeah, Airplane's 1980. Yeah, you're right. Which he, it's another one where he does, he does the role Basically straight. I mean, he basically mm-hmm. just flat, you know, I'm serious as can possibly be. Mm-hmm. And he basically, that's what he did with this character. I think maybe that was his, uh, what do you call it? His niche. That was his, yeah. you know, go-to, what he could do. Although the Naked Gun movies were probably more slapsticky for him. But, uh, yeah, Leslie Nielsen uh, in a lot of stuff. Go check him out. Great actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see. While you're looking that up, I have some yeah. notes here. Um, one thing I noticed, um, after Hawkeye removes the slug from Colonel Buzz Brighton's leg, Brighton Leslie asks Nielsen. for the slug. And it went from, and that slug went from being covered in blood to perfectly clean in less than three seconds. Well. That's a pretty neat trick. He just, you know, stuck it in his mouth and washed it around a bit and spit it back out. Ew! <laughs> uh, let's see what else. Um... Ah, uh, yes. There is a scene, there's a shower scene with Hawkeye and Frank, and Frank's Ooh. dog tags appear, or I'm sorry, disappear halfway through their discussion. He swallowed them. 
Yeah, or they fell off something. And let's see what else. Uh, finally, my last note is the first episode of three in season one to be directed by Jackie Cooper. Jackie Cooper. Jackie yes, the Cooper, actor, the, the newspaper guy in the Superman movies. The guy. Okay. Daily Planet's not, not the guy who uh, chief played. Guy. Uh, he was also in, I believe... Um, what was the Adam Family guy? No, it's... Well, he might have been Adam's Family, but no. Um, he was... Uh, leave it to Beaver. He was the older brother, I believe. He was oh, Beaver's Lord. older brother. No idea. Yeah. But yeah, just a great episode. Yeah. Especially with the the title being, you know, so... Oh, what's the word? Mm, psychological focus of of, yeah. of the character. He's like... Yeah, he's, he's, he's banging doing his finger. Yeah, that was that was you know supposedly in the episode they said when he was banging his ring against the the chair yeah. that he was sitting in that was them that was him subconsciously trying to show them hey I'm I'm know. I'm well but he's not yeah he's it, not well he's like but I know what I'm doing I'm 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 the man they get him taken off a duty don't they yes yeah yeah they have him sent yeah they have him sent home um, because they I forget exactly how they do it but they yeah. yeah they send him down is he the one. Where he basically just sends wave after wave after he, his lead platoons are the ones that have the most casualties. Yeah, he yeah. it's like he didn't. I mean, he didn't want to see any of his boys killed, but at the same time, he didn't seem to be bothered by it. Right. Yeah. So, he would yeah. just throw men after men after men. Yep. No, there's no surrender in this guy's. Yep. And this is um, vocabulary. Yeah, and this is also a subject that they would later that the series would later um, reapproach with another actor or another. Colonel, um, I forget the actor's or the the character's name at this point, but um, he he was the one. You know, he just didn't seem he didn't care at all that mm. his men would get killed. Didn't know them, you know, knew knew their name, but didn't know which one was who. I mean, he just he didn't care. All right. he cared about was the conquest of. He has his orders. Right, take the hill, take no the hill, what. no matter yeah, what. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's one thing. I mean, I'm gonna probably back this later, back it up later, but I don't think. Long-running sitcoms had, especially in an era where, I mean, this is the 70s, early, early 70s. So you couldn't just, you watched this on TV, and that was it. If it showed up again later, I don't even know if they did reruns back then. Uh, but you definitely weren't, you know, going, oh, I like that that series. I'm going to go buy season one. Right. Not even on VHS. Um, a lot of the older series, they would they would do something and then, like, you know, three or four seasons in, they'd be like, hey, let's kind of rework that thing we did in season two because no one's going to see it again. You know, right. and they would have you know, almost shows, uh, almost episodes that were basically the, the same plot, mm-hmm. just done a little differently. Yeah. And I don't think MASH did that. No, they had that, the, I, that I can think of. Gene Reynolds, if I'm not mistaken, of the three, uh, there was Burt Metcalf, Larry Galbart, Gene Reynolds. Gene Reynolds, I believe his style of producing was research. Mm. So he was the guy that would... I, I think at one point, I think him or maybe all the producer, I don't know, they they went out of their way to talk to people who were there mm-hmm. as part of the research to come up with fodder for future episodes. That's so, good. Like there was mention, I know that there was one particular episode where supposedly a soldier arrives with an unexploded grenade still in his body. Yes. And they have to remove it. That, was, that came from research. So, you know, it was... Um, you know, it's one of those things where that was their style. It's like Gene Reynolds. He would go out and he would find content to work on for episodes. That's good. That's yeah. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Episode 17. 17. Yes. Sometimes, Sometimes you, you hear, hear the, the bullet. bullet. Yep. 
definitely the one where they were like, okay, we did Moose. Mm-hmm. We did the two other ones, the uh, Cowboy one mm-hmm. where Henry almost dies. Let's let's really stick let's really stick something in here. Let's yeah. have our first death. Yes. I think. Yep. You'd say so. Definitely a character that we're introduced to. Yep. Who dies. Yeah. And they may I wanna remember them they might do this again in the series. Seasons down, maybe somebody that Colonel Potter knew comes back, but I'm not I'm not positive on that. But definitely this is the first Patient death. This yes. is one Hawkeye didn't save. And to make things worse, it's like Hawkeye's best friend. Yep. So this is uh this is this is uh he's a journalist that Hawkeye grew up with. Yes. I think. Yeah. Um who comes to Korea to be a journalist and he wants the hard hitting stories. He wants the true stories. So he's up there at the front. Yep. With 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 the men, not just back with the the generals and the people. Yeah, no, he he was he he, is, he was writing it from the from the point of view of a soldier, not a correspondent. Yes. Yep. And yep. Played by James T. Callahan, who plays Tommy Gillis. His um, one and only episode appearance. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, likewise with Ron Howard. Um, rule number one: Young men die. Rule number two: Is doctors can't change rule number one. Yes. I believe that's Henry talking to... Yep. Hawkeye right Hawkeye. outside the OR. Yep. Uh, first patient death. This is January 28, 1973, so we're into the 73 year. This is also uh, an appearance of Ron Howard. Yes, as Wendell slash Walter. And we see... Would you say that we see a major change in the character of Hawkeye? Oh, yeah, this would change and him for I, sure. I, I will say that because... When Hawkeye first meets Ron Ron Howard's character, he doesn't – it's not that he doesn't care, but he's like, you do what you want to do. I'm not going to turn you in. Right. If if you don't know, uh, Ron Howard's character is portraying – or has falsified his papers to be his brother Mm -hmm. because he's not old enough to to be in the war. He's under 18 – for sure. He was 15. 15? It, it, it result, ultimately, he was 15. 15. So, and he's basically in Korea fighting the war to impress a girl. Yeah. What a maroon. Dumb. Yeah. <laughs> but, and he still wants to fight even though he's injured. And Hawkeye finds out that, hey, you're not who you say you are. You're only 15. And when he first encounters him, he's like, hey, Ron Howard's character is like, you're not going to turn me in, are you? And Hawkeye says... No, no, you no. go do what you need to do, blah, blah, blah. Then Hawkeye's friend shows up. Hawkeye's friend comes back and dies on the operating table. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, Hawkeye then goes back and turns Ron, Howard, Ron Howard's character in. And mm-hmm. he says, do you remember what he says at the end? I, I had it and I lost it. Yeah, it's, it's says, never I know f- one young soldier that I can save. And then he yeah. says, I'm, you know, I'm. I hate you for this, I you know, and I'm, I'm never going to forgive you for the rest of my life. And he says, "Let's hope it's a long, long and healthy, healthy hate." hate. Yes. Yep. So, yep. No, according to surprised that he didn't turn him in. I mean, we're I mean, we're we're really familiar with Hawkeye and his future ordeals. Mm-hmm. To to kind of center it in on what we know from the past sixteen episodes. Mm-hmm. 
were you, do you think you could see yourself as being surprised that Hawkeye just said, okay, you do whatever you want, kid? Given what we know about him from the first 16 episodes, I, th- I was, when I watched it, I was like, really? You're just going to let him go? But then I know Hawkeye from so much more information, and I'm trying to think, would I be surprised up until this point? I think I would say Hawkeye was warming up to, for lack of a better way of putting it, his moral compass. He, when it when it comes to all things medical, mm-hmm. you know, he slowly it, his moral compass becomes more fine tuned as the series progresses. Now, there are exceptions. Mm-hmm. Like the aforementioned uh, colonel later who was very careless with his men. Well, he would go in and mutilate his body by pretending, you know, getting him drunk and putting something in his martini that would make him think he had appendicitis. Mm-hmm. So what does he do? He goes in, he, as they call it, it's mutilation because he operates on a soldier that has nothing wrong with him. Yeah, yeah. And then, but that gets him sent home. Because apparently so an appendis, appendis, appendicitis was yeah. something enough that gets you sent home. You won't hurt anybody else. Right. And it's just like you said, you treated the symptom, but the war goes merrily on. Yeah. Um, but at least by now, um, I would say I'm kind of surprised that he didn't turn him in, but I think he probably maybe struggled with that a little. And then when you, his friend dies on the operating table, that solidified that, Yeah, yeah. This kid's going home. But even if you look at the previous episode, the ring banger, the ring banger where he tries everything he can to mm-hmm. not let Leslie Nielsen's yeah. character go back to the front and kill more people. Yep. Doesn't do that for this kid. Yeah, no, <laughs> I agree. Like, they're, they're, no, like I said, it's, it's, it seems different compared to mm-hmm. what he did in a previous episode. It, it seems like a total opposite. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it, it, I think him seeing his friend die, I think made him realize, okay, I've made a terrible that, mistake. Yeah, this kid needs to go home. Right. And of course you know, that's the writer. He needs it, to be in a malt shop somewhere. Op- yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I was, I think even with if if I didn't know any future information about the character of Hawkeye, I think I still would be surprised that he didn't turn him in. Yeah, especially for someone who's fifteen. Agreed. And you know, I mean, Hawkeye late twenties, mm, probably maybe. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think that's fair. It, I don't think he would be old enough to be father figure to a fifteen-year-old, mm. but definitely maybe mm. younger brother. You know. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, definitely. I mean, they alluded to certain things in past episodes, and we've talked about that. But this mm-hmm. this episode hit you square in the face. This is a show about war. Yeah, well, with this, comedy. Yeah, <laughs> the, this was um, Larry Galbart. He said this was the first episode that quote opened our eyes as to what we could do. Right. And so, according to Larry Galbart, where the show took a more serious tone for the first time with regard to what happens to Tommy. Mm-hmm. To the character of Tommy. Part of how this episode paved the way for the show to take a more serious tone, this is basically the first episode where you see any major amount of blood found on a surgeon's gloves. Mm-hmm. So, And then there were a couple of goofs that I found. Um, Hawkeye catches Private Walter trying to hotwire a Jeep. Military vehicles like Jeeps didn't have ignition switches out of necessity. Otherwise, many vehicles would be lost to an advancing enemy if ignition keys couldn't be located. Yeah. So. <laughs> you don't need keys. Yep, that was uh, something I found in my research. And then one other goof, while Henry is presenting Frank with his purple heart, he mentions his middle initial as being D, the letter D. However, later in the series, his middle name was mentioned as being Marion. 
Oh. Yep. Frank Marion Burns. You mentioned the Jeeps, and I thought I had written it down. Another sort of um, character development in Radar, because... I seem to remember this happening, but I don't. I don't. I don't have it in my notes anywhere. But Radar stole a jeep. Mm-hmm. Basically, he mailed it home piece by, by piece. piece. That's right. <laughs> this is another Apparently, little, that was an army shtick. This is another little thing. Uh, you know, radar isms. How much radar changed? I don't think later radar would have done such a thing. No, I don't think it would have either. <laughs> so we have like first season radar who's drinking, smoking, womanizing, or at least trying to, mm-hmm. <laughs> and stealing jeeps. Oh, come on, guys. Yes. Uh, well, I wouldn't say womanizing. Um, that trying. was definitely Hawkeye trying to. <laughs> His would been more like trying to. Fraternize. Uh, you do see him hitting on a lot of women in the oh, first yeah. season. He tries. Honestly, you guys are embarrassing. Yeah. God he bless tries. him. He tries. <laughs> he tries. Bless his heart, he tries. Will you guys cut it out? Episode 18. Dear Dad. Again. Again. Another Dear Dad episode. Again, this is Hawkeye reliving moments in a letter to his father. Mm-hmm. Um, third appearance of Klinger. He's back in the dresses. Okay. Uh, Radar has no high school diploma. Ah, yes. How do you get into... I guess you could have gotten into the Army. I guess they really didn't care, but his particular position? I don't know. And How old is Radar? Do we know? Uh, as far as I know, he was only supposed to be like 18, 19 years old or something okay. like that. I guess um, I guess the story, if I'm, if, if you may remember it more than I would, but, you know, kid on the farm, dad passes, he has to take mm-hmm. care of the farm. Mm-hmm. But if that were true, he wouldn't have been drafted. He would have been the man in charge. Yeah. But maybe this microscope is too big for this particular seat. No, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, they do mention, let's see, when, um, well, I mean, when Gary Berghoff's character leaves the series in, in season eight, it is mentioned that, um, you know, when his uncle Ed passes away, mm-hmm. I mean, Potter tells him, it's like, well, you know, you've done your bid, it, you know, fill out yourself a DA. DA-7, discharge, whatever, hardship discharge, mm-hmm. you know, because God knows your mom can't do it on her own. So Right. So, you so know, maybe Uncle Ed came in when he got drafted, but I'm surprised he would have been drafted. Yeah. But, you know, that's probably why he doesn't have a high school diploma, but that just kind of struck me as, huh? Um, first mention of Ferret Face. Ferret Face. Okay. This is where Frank gets drunk. Mm-hmm. Probably, I think it was something to do with Margaret. Um. Was he gets drunk because she's away or something like that, yeah. maybe? Uh, I have something down here, but I don't know what it means. Uh, if only you could see how stupid you sound right now. Four different characters in Night Court. Captain Casey. Oh, Alex Hentelhoff. I guess the person who or, played... Or, excuse me, Hentelhoff. I guess the person who played Captain Casey was in Night Court in four different characters. He was also the guy in Star Trek Four with the computer. Mm. Hello, computer. Oh, that, that guy. Yep, he's that guy. The, in this episode, is he the guy who's playing... Captain Casey. Someone who isn't... Not a doctor. Not a doctor. Not he's a lawyer. Put on, he's played a lawyer. He's played a surgeon. He's played an engineer. He yes. says, I can do it all, but I just never had the, the patience to go get the, the diploma, the, the certificate. Yes. <laughs> I do remember him. Yes. He definitely was in Night Court and played four different characters. Okay. Yes. Um, according to this, okay, uh, he played Captain Casey. But I, I, put, I put in parentheses, Schwartz? He question didn't mark. come back no. again, no. which is funny. 
Nope. Uh, according to IMDb trivia, the character of Captain Casey was actually based on a real-life imposter, Ferdinand Waldo DeMara, mm. who managed to get a position as ship's surgeon aboard a Canadian warship that was involved in the Korean War. Nice. Yeah. Well, there, there you go. You're, you're proving your point when you said that Larry would go off and, and try to find actual stories. Mm-hmm. There you go. Let's see. Um, let's see. Yeah, um, while Hawkeye is writing his letter to his dad, he mentions an exchange between Margaret and Frank in Margaret's tent, which is actually used in a later episode. It was the one where it's like, Frank, leave. I have a brain and a mind, and you know, and it's like where they slap each other. Next mm-hmm. thing you know, they're now making out. Oh, of course. Um, but that that exchange that they show while you know in that episode was actually part of another episode. Was it? Yeah, they used it twice. I figured out what I wrote. Okay. Maybe you can figure out why I wrote it. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> foreshadowing Father... Uh, spoiler alert. Foreshadowing Father McKay's deafness. Because we know at the, the yeah. very last episode, yeah. he loses his hearing. Yep. I don't know... I don't remember what would be in this episode that would make me think that. Dumb people are always blissfully unaware of how dumb they really are. Can you think of anything? I need to take better notes. I yeah. apologize. Maybe we need to revisit that. Cause I er- will. I will look at that episode again. But yeah, something made me write that down. And now that I think about it, because I just I watched uh, uh, the last two episodes of the season today. And okay. in, in Showgirls, there is a scene where... Showtime. Showtime. Showgirls. <laughs> Different MASH episodes. Uh, Radar says something to Father McKay. And Father McKay goes, what? Like... Intensely, and it's like, oh, that's another no, that foreshadowing could, thing. It, but it could be. But yeah, I don't know why I wrote that down. I need to okay take better notes. Um, the last thing I put on here was this was another episode where they actually did some filming inside the swamp at the ranch set ah, of the park. When so. you can see through the tent, yes, and actually see off in the distance yeah. the you know the um what the what do we call it the mess tent. I will say that this, and maybe maybe it's because when they transferred it, they brought it up some more but usually in in especially these shows from like the 70s when you when you have a set and you're filming it on set in a studio yes that's what it looks like but when they try to do the the thing where they're actually on location mm-hmm. it just looks so different oh yeah this mash didn't do that i think they had a better cin- cinematographer or um, a dp definitely for this there's a lot of high-quality people on this show, mm-hmm. and I think that's why it still stands up now, because you don't, you don't have those jarring 70s things that you're watching an old 70s show. Like, if you were trying to watch Aftermash, <laughs> it's like... Like I said, I've tried, but... Yeah. You know, the rolling lines and everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's just one of the reasons why this, why this show holds up. Okay. And we're coming into the... The, the final stretch here. I think yep. we only have four episodes left. Yep. Episode 19, The Long John Flap. First episode written by Alan Alda. That's what I've got in my notes. Yes. Episode aired February 18th, 1973. Uh, Alan Alda, do you know how many episodes he wrote? I do not. It was a bunch. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure. And he sort of... the This episode... Different than his later ones, I would think. Basically, the storyline of this episode is it's really cold. Mm-hmm. It is dead winter, for sure. 
and I forget how he gets them. Does his father send him? I think he just, I think the episode opens with just him having a pair. Okay. He has a pair of long johns, and everybody's jealous of them. Mm-hmm. And through crimes and misdemeanors, the long johns are, are, they drift from character to character. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty basic episode. It was a, it was a silly episode. Yeah, silly. Not, not too much went on. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't have a whole lot for it other than it was the first one that he wrote. Yep. Um, one of the things that uh, I found again through the research, uh, there was a goof. When Frank visits Margaret in her tent, there is a Life magazine that is visible on her cot. The issue shown was published in 1967. Oops. <laughs> well, <laughs> but you know, again, it's those little details that probably nobody True. would have ever noticed. I mean, you're thinking. This is 1973. They're doing a story that was set 13 years in the past. It's current. 23 years in the past. 23? 1950. 50, 67. Yeah, okay. So math wasn't my strong suit. Three, four. What's going to happen next? Live? Holy super happy fun time. Public schools. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. I went to a public school. I think I turned out okay. <laughs> we didn't go to the same public school. Okay. Um. But yeah, I mean. Think of... Did they have schools down there where you're from? That, what? <laughs> what? They got whittling school. <laughs> the ones who failed are the ones that had to use the knife handle instead of the knife blade. Uh-huh. They got marks in their hands, though. I'm sure. They got marks in school. <laughs> um, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to think of it now. But, like, pic- try to picture yourself in 1973 trying to find something from 1950. Right or earlier, yeah, it would have know. been you know, <laughs> would and without been. the app, you know, with things like the internet or right. you know some of the you know the common you know things that we take for granted every day. I mean, back then, I mean, research was literally research. Yeah, I mean, card catalogs, folks. Yeah, you you don't know, <laughs> you don't know the pain <laughs> that mm-hmm. we went through. You can't just whip out a phone and go, oh, the answer is. Gary Bergdorf is 80. No, mm-hmm. you had to go down to the local library, library or, yeah, you had to go to the periodical section, yeah. you know, to find, you know, yep, the good old days. <laughs> then Alex Encyclopedias came out, it's like, oh, all this information in one place. Yeah, you you had uh, door-to-door salesmen. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not finding how many he wrote. I know okay. he wrote a few, and he, he definitely uh, directed... Several. Several. Yep. Um, overall, I think he did a good job. I mean, this as far as writing, this was a, a solid, yeah. decent episode. There was nothing too up or down kinda like about a, it. Kind of like a filler episode. It's like, okay, they ran out of ideas for a brief moment or something. Yeah, I don't know. I, I could see this definitely being something that happened in in one way or another. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, I had a pair of lines on. Everybody was jealous of them, and somebody stole them, you know, and, and just... What happens with that? But yeah, a, a decent episode. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, episode twenty, the Army Navy game. This is the one with the the propaganda bomb. Yep, the unexploded propaganda bomb. Uh, in the Army Navy football game, mm-hmm. or American football, mm-hmm. I should say. <laughs> yeah, the title of the episode refers to an annual college football game between the United States Military Academy which is, of course, the USMA in West Point, New York, and the United States Naval Academy, USNA in Annapolis, Maryland, that embodies the spirit of the inner service rivalry. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
We're not all together even when we're all together. Yep. <laughs> um, I And through the research I found, it said that the idea for this episode actually came from McLean Stevenson by asking a simple question. How pissed would these guys be if they were attacked in the middle of a football game? Mm. Yeah. And um, did you ever watch... Um, there was a time... And I know he did other shows, but the only one that I know of off the top of my head, do you remember when The Price is Right would appear for like a half hour show at night? Ooh, I never watched it, but I think I remember hearing about it. Uh, okay. Um, the host was by an, a guy by the name of Tom Kennedy. Okay. He would, he would host other game shows and things, but his voice is the person that you hear as the radio voice for the game. Ah, yep. nice. Yep. I do have, I have some notes about this. Uh, particular thing. Um, Frank and Trapper both say they're married men. Hawkeye states he's not. And this is one of those things that throughout the season, it's kind of on on and off. Uh, he said in the pilot that he's engaged. I'm engaged but, to but, a pilot. Well, so am I, but hopefully no. it's not the same pilot. <laughs> <laughs> um but, you know, it is revealed at the end of this season that he's definitely not married. Okay. Because he tells two women that he is married to stop them from... Yes. Wanting, wanting him, wanting him after going home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, at the 6 minute 27 mark, you see, you fully see Gary Bergdorf's left hand for yes. the first time. Yes. He was on, he was in the, in his office where he was trying to get a hold of somebody on the box phone and you could see his left hand tapping whatever it is on top trying to get a hold of somebody. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you don't know, Gary Bergdorf's hand. His left hand is deformed. Is deformed. Was yep. it this, do you know, birth? I don't know. No, or I don't malument know. or something. His fingers are definitely uh, shorter. And yep. they, he, I'm going to say he, I don't know, I'll think of anybody else had the idea but i think you know he definitely hit it well mm-hmm. you know he's always yep. got a clipboard in yep. that hand or, mm-hmm. or he's always holding something and i actually you know i remember watching this and going did i just see that mm-hmm. wow you know because yep. he's usually really really careful about it mm-hmm. um this is also the episode where uh Klinger is in a suit and father mckagey comes up to him and, and says it's the first time i've ever seen you without a dress um, that's wrong. Yep. That's wrong. Yep. Unless, <laughs> unless these episodes are in a completely wrong order. He does, he's not wearing a dress when Father McKay, he stops him from killing Frank Burns. This, with the, it, with a grenade. Yeah. It still just sounds so weird that yeah. he's still, you know, a character on the show after trying to do that. Um, yeah, that's, that's all I got. The, the propaganda bomb. Uh, do you remember who won? Army, Navy? Uh, it was the Navy, actually. And I think, if I remember my... I don't remember the score. Out, ...outside research, I think it's what actually happened, I think, for that year, 1950. I think they okay. actually... Yeah, the Navy ended up they, winning the game. They actually used the, the correct, error correct, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing that I noticed that was a bit of a continuity goof is that when Hawkeye first approaches the bomb, he has no boots on. Oh so as not to cause, of course, vibrations that uh, could possibly set it off. However, when he and Trapper go to defuse it later, they both have their boots on. Ah. Uh, he got them from the guy that the bomb landed on. Yes. He said, well, he's not He's, gonna, he's the he's guy not, that's under the bomb in the yeah, ground Yeah, he's not going to need these anymore, so he no. just pulled them off. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They don't show that because it's too morbid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I have nothing... For the rest of the episodes. No study. Oh, boy. I guess I'm on my own. Yeah. Well, there's only three. 
No, there's four. Four? Mm-hmm. 20, one, two, three, four. Okay. Yeah. 20, Sticky Wicket is ep- next episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was an episode where Hawkeye has no problem basically busting Frank's chops in front of everybody about how bad of a, a surgeon he is, only to have a patient of his own go sour on him after yeah. so, where he misses something during the procedure. And then Frank is busting his chops about it. Yep. And it's not, it's not so much... Uh, you can give and take. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, if, yeah. If you're but, gonna, yeah, if you're gonna dish it out, you should be able to take it. But to his credit, Frank. I mean, they. This is the weird thing about Frank is they 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 constantly say how bad of a surgeon he is, but mm-hmm. they rarely show it. Yeah, and I think that might be because they don't want the audience to really hate him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. I mean, there are a few times um, when Frank is like, you know, yeah. He's not going to make it or something and kind of just waves off the patient and then, mm-hmm. you know, somebody else comes over and goes, what are you, crazy? You know, and, and yeah. yeah. Ended up saving the guy. Yeah, uh, there was an episode later in the series that, uh, what was it, He's, he was giving Frank a hard time and it's like, well, you try taking out a man's a kidney. And then come to find out the man, the sir, the, the, the he only soldier had only one. had one. Yeah, yeah. don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. I could have killed him. Jeez. So. Oops. And I, if I remember correctly, he's just like, oh, oops, you know. Frank's yep. got a weird <laughs> mentality of life. Yeah. So uh, I looked. So in doing some of the research for this episode, um, according to IMDb, the title "Sticky Wicket" is an English metaphor used to describe a difficult circumstance. Yes, Sticky Wicket. Mm-hmm. It comes from cricket, the game cricket, which is okay. Sort of baseball esque. Uh, it's yeah, great. if I remember cricket, it's like where you're actually you're you're taking the bat and you're actually taking it downward. I think, isn't it? Yeah. The, well, the wicket. We're not going to go too much into this because cricket's not. It's a boring sport. Give me. Sorry, British people. It is. Um, the wicket in a in a cricket game is a. It's three posts that have some things kind of balanced on top of them, and basically the pitcher is trying to throw the ball at the wicket to knock those things down. Because if oh, he okay. does that, the the batter's out. Ah, um, all right. Or more. It might actually be the end of the so-called, or the inning, so to speak. But, yeah, that's the wicket. So that's kind of where that comes from. Because basically what the batter's doing is trying to protect the wicket. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Cricket. Yay. Yes. That's so. our spinoff podcast. So, uh, let's see. Interesting thing about this episode is that Blake actually refers to his wife. Um, he calls her Mildred. But later in the series, she would become Lorraine. Only to find out that Potter's wife's first name was Mildred. That's so this episode and not uh, the episode where he's where she's given birth? Mm, well, that the episode that she gives birth is later in, later in the season yeah. one. That's in yeah. the finale, I believe. Because he calls her... Calls her Mildred in that one too. Mm-hmm. No, but he there's a scene where he refers to his wife Mildred by name, but like I said, she becomes Lorraine uh, later. Okay, so it's like okay, is there some storyline that we didn't get told? Did he have multiple wives? Hey, it's Henry. Well, it's it's plausible. <laughs> yeah, it's like how far away, how far between Hannibal, Missouri, and you know uh, Bloomington, Illinois. You know how far apart is that? Do we we're, do we have was something it, going on here? <laughs> what kind of doctor is Henry? I forget. Do he we, was just know? a. He was just. He was supposed to be a diagnostician, and also just like a primary care physician. Just, just, okay. But he also did surgery. Funny how he's a surgeon too. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, he might just have multiple offices. He's a traveling salesman. Because that's neat. Traveling doctor. I was going to say, making say, house calls. Snake oil. He does say, when I first get home, I, you know, I'm going to think of you when I ignore my first house call. Yes. So he may have many wives in the neighborhood. <laughs> yes. So it could be. I wonder if Lorraine knows about it. Mm. I wonder if the or two Mildred. Of them, yeah, I wonder if the two of them have met. Or Henrietta. They go to the same uh, Who's grocery Henrietta? store. The other other wife. Oh, okay. Is that one you just made up? <laughs> sure. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's see. I have a listed here as a goof that apparently after Hawkeye wakes up and figures out what he missed in the original surgery, he is seen leaving a tent. In the next scene, he appears to be running from Henry's tent. Mm. Because it's a long shot where he's going from like running from one end of the camp to the other. Cut scene, maybe. It could be. Yeah. But he's running from, like the said, but we, you and I both know that right outside post-op is where... Henry's tent was. Mm-hmm. So did he run to Henry? No, he, he was running from right, yeah, basically when, from Henry's tent towards a uh, hot lips tent because he, he wakes up from well, he sleeping wanted to get hot lips first. He what? He wanted to get hot lips first. That could be, but ultimately I don't remember. I could be wrong, but I don't remember Henry being in that scene where he finally finds out what he missed in the right. initial surgery. I know Frank's there because I remember him saying anybody could have it's missed a good that job. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Mm. So, anyway, that's all I have on Sticky Wicket. Sticky Wicket. Oh, wait a minute, no. No, I have one more thing. Thoughts of Sticky Wicket. Uh, This was a goof. Apparently, when Radar announces that the choppers are on the way, the doctors are in uniform. But when the show, when they show the doctors getting, uh, loading the casualties from the helipad onto their various vehicles and so forth, they're in Hawaiian clothes. That was actually footage that was used in the pilot episode. Aha. So, yep. A little bit of a continuity problem there. So... Who's going to notice? That's again, that's another thing where it's like, we're going to air this show and that's going to be it. Yeah. No one's going to see it again. Yeah. So. Like, get away with a, a few things. Okay. Uh, next episode 22, Major Fred C. Dobbs. Ah. Yes. Ah. Ah. No, not Bach. Ah. Bach. Ah. So, per the title, Fred C. Dobbs was the treasure-hungry character played by Humphrey Bogart in The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, 1948. Okay, so this is the one where they they have something to do with the dentist and a gold filling, and Frank thinks he's found gold along the creek bed. Right, because they're he they've because the the surgeons have embarrassed Frank and uh, Hot Lips for the last time. They mm-hmm. overdid themselves. They just went over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, crossing a boundary. They decide, you know, um, Frank decides they've reached my boil. You know, I'm done. I'm transferring out. Mm-hmm. And when they, you know, so to keep them there, uh, they basically try to make it think, you know, because Radar is seen trying to go find gold in the hills because Korea apparently is one of the world's producers of gold, apparently. Um, whether that's still true today, I don't mm. know. But, um Anyway, so what they do is they, they paint some rocks gold, and they try to make him think that there's gold, you know, in them thar hills outside the, <laughs> outside the camp. Um, so, um, yeah, so it's... Do you remember what they do to embarrass them? I think they were out. Um, they record, uh, let's see, there's a scene where Frank and Hot Lips are together, and I think it's when Frank decides, when he announces that he's leaving. And they record, they they have a, like a, you know, a microphone there mm-hmm. in, the, in the tent, wherever. And then they turn around and they play it over the camp's PA system. Um, you know, I, I forget the dialogue and all that stuff, but, you know, it's, gotcha. she comes, she comes storming out of her camp or out of her tent and walking towards Henry's, Henry's office, office or whatever. And she's clearly, she's pissed. Well, you're the one committing an affair, Margaret. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yep. So, um, 
Yeah, that's what I have for Sticky Wicket. Nope. So Dobbs. Yep. I'm sorry, you're right, Dobbs. My bad. Sticky Wicket. Let's see. Hold on. Wait. Oh, oh, you know what? I have more. I'm sorry. I got. I don't know what's gotten into you, swamp rats. Um, there is, okay, there's a scene where, yeah, where Henry is being seen by the dentist. Um, and I'm, you know, it looks like that the room that they're in must have been the mess tent. Mm. Because the dentist's office has two doors that swing outward, which is what the mess tent Dual had. purpose? Yeah. They is it, is it Kaplan? Point. Yeah, Kaplan. Yeah, the dentist Kaplan. Yes, yeah, so I like got that the actor. Very nerdy laugh. <laughs> 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 or something to that effect. <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's see. What else do I have here? Frank says that Hawkeye and Trapper nailed five cuts together. This is one of the tricks that he played, or the, one of the tricks that they played on him. And they said, he commented that they had nailed five cuts together, one on top of the other, where he was sleeping 12 feet in the air. But in the scene where Frank was only like a half foot taller on top of those cuts than the actual, you know, as they watched him sleep, it's like, okay, I'm sorry, but I don't remember Hawkeye or Trapper ever being 12 feet tall. Mm-mm. I don't think 12 feet they would have even been able to fit in the tent. Right. <laughs> so it had been a little too tall for the tent. So I think that's a bit of a goof. So. 23. Uh, nope, not yet. Not yet. I have one more goof. One more goof. Yep. As Frank is complaining to Henry about the hamburger in his ear, and Henry tells him to not bring my <laughs> wife into this, you can see Larry Linville mouthing Henry's and the uh. dentist dialogue as they say their lines. <laughs> so. They must have... Uh... They did it perfectly. I don't know. Did some actors some actors learn everybody's dialogue? They could do that. They, they do that. They, yeah. they just learn the whole script. Well, and maybe in doing so, maybe it helps them learn. It helps them better memorize the scene. Perhaps. So. And yeah, he just got 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 caught. Yeah. <laughs> mouthing the word. Either that or maybe they had done it so many times, and the other actors had screwed up so many times that he just knew all the right. It's like you're going to get it right this time. That's right. So. <laughs> All right, Read that brings my lips. us exactly, <laughs> and that brings us to episode twenty-three: ceasefire. Ceasefire. I have I thought, one whole note for this one. I thought this was the end of the season episode, and I so was, did I. I was wrong. And so was I. That filler episode at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was the only um, the only note that I had for the ceasefire, which apparently there is an initial ceasefire arranged uh, between um, between the warring nations, whatever. Um, North Korea and South Korea. Yeah, China. they. Yeah, China and whatever they. Um, Apparently there is a ceasefire that's put in order only to find out that, that it, nope, the war is back on. Um, but the only note that I put on was that uh, this would be the final appearance of um, Hojon, played by Patrick ADRT. And what was Hojon's character? I forget. You mean Patrick ADRT's character, sure. Hojon? He yes. was the houseboy. Houseboy. Yeah. That's oh, how right. they were, okay. At least that's how they refer to him as a houseboy. Gotcha, gotcha. So. He's the one where he, he looks into his eyes and says, oh, one more drink, and then... Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about all that, but yeah, he was, he was in that episode. So, but um, yeah, and by the time that the episode is finished, um, everything in the swamp is gone <laughs> except for the still and um, Trapper's bed and the framework the of the. Yeah, everything else is gone. Yeah, yeah. The stove, the you know, all the other cots, everything, and you know, Hawkeye's sitting there. He's sitting on like a like a bucket or something stool, you know. <laughs> Because he was so quick to want to sell everything off, give away everything, because the war, he thought yeah. the war would be over. There was no conclusion with, uh, it, yeah, there was no conclusion with Klinger having to, he sold all his dresses because he yes. thought he was going home. He's yep. like, I don't need this anymore. Yep. No conclusion with that. Nope. And I, this is not the, this is probably the first time he does that. There's another time where he sells all his outfits and regrets it. 
Um, it wasn't selling them. It was having to give them away. And I believe that was in episode, the first episode of season five called bug out. So they had okay. to go find another place to set up the camp. And then they come up on the school that is full of all these cream and women who were apparently, you know, madams of the night or and the ladies of the night them use the land is if for the they, dresses. If exactly. Okay. In exchange for the dresses. Um, so yeah, I felt kind of let down that there was no, you know, clinger in the background running around grabbing. Trying to get all his dresses <laughs> back. Grabbing shoes out of women's hands or something. Yep. But so the 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 trapper character, the, the way he responds to this ceasefire, he, he doesn't believe it. He's not going to believe it until. Until he's, he's at home taking his first house call. Yeah. Um, personally, I think that would be me. That's kind of my attitude with stuff, especially mm-hmm. of that nature. But too good to be truth, like um, you know. And I understand everybody else celebrating like crazy, and it's like it just it. They really depicted it as almost like everybody is getting drunk, and I'm like, you guys still have a crap ton of patience. <laughs> Somebody's looking after these people, right? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. they just got off of three days of doing surgery with three hours of sleep or something. Um. But the end, I thought it was too soft of an ending for this. You know, it's it's like if this was a later season mash, it would be a lot more melancholy at the end. Because it, it's almost like Hawkeye just kind of like, you know, dismisses the, the, the whole episode as just sort of a joke. I forget what little joke he makes, but he just makes this little joke and he's just like, oh, oh well. Mm-hmm. It's like, Really? You thought you were going home. Everybody was celebrating, and it's just like, eh. <laughs> now we're not. Now we're not. Mm-hmm. Eh. You know, not not even like an, a really emotional exchange. I, I don't want to say the writers let us down on this one, but maybe not, not even an emotional exchange with the bet they had because mm-hmm. Hawkeye bet Trapper fifty dollars. That, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he this said, is I, true. Yeah, this bucks. is going to happen. This yeah. is true. I'll bet you fifty. Okay, so and he gives. Trapper the fifty dollars and it's like there's there's such an opportunity there, but maybe it just would have been too heavy. I just thought it ended. Maybe they too just soft. ran out of time. Maybe I just thought the 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 episode ended a little soft. Yeah, it was kind of anticlimactic. And the next episode, the Showgirls episode, Showtime, Showtime episode. What is the matter with you? It it kind of shows them more. At least when they're watching the show, I know they're supposed to be like, oh, this show kind of sucks, except for when the girls are on, but. They all seem very. The girls added very much, but they, anyway, they, go ahead. They all seem very melancholy, like oh, uh, and it it fits as being the next day, mm-hmm. but not as not as this episode ends. This the ceasefire episode ends with just kind of like oh well, and it's yeah. like uh, really. <laughs> I thought I read somewhere something about this episode. I I don't quote me on this, but I thought I read somewhere that they had actually written two endings for this episode because they weren't sure if CBS was going to order another season because they weren't sure if the show was going to be renewed. Okay. I thought I read somewhere that there was two different endings, Um, but but I'm not 100% certain on that. And that leads us to the last episode called... (laughs) Showtime. (laughs) Thought I better make sure to see if you get it right this time. I wasn't going Showgirls? to get it right. I wasn't going to get it right. I was going to say Showgirls again. I had to stop myself. So I don't have a lot of notes for this. Side um, note, I've never seen that movie, <laughs> Showgirls, okay. so okay. I don't know why I keep saying it. Yeah. 
yeah, this would be the finale for season one. Um, also one of the several episodes that was also directed by Jackie Cooper. Ah. And this would be the final appearance of John Orchard as Ugly John. Although, as mentioned earlier in the podcast, he would return for one episode in season eight, I believe, where he plays an MP who shuts down Rosie's bar. I think they should have kept Ugly John. I liked the character. I did too. He wasn't, he wasn't there a lot, but he was there when he needed to be. I yep. mean, it, it probably just... Later, you know, later on, they'd probably just, it's just an anesthesiologist. We'll just use him as somebody who's there, you know, mm-hmm. move the bag. There you go. Say something. You know, we're losing him. Yeah. But yeah, I think he added stuff, other stuff. Um, I I didn't like this episode. I thought it was a. It felt like filler. It did. It felt like we have some leftover pranks that we wrote that didn't go in other shows and. Here's, but you gotta admit, he radar some, plays a pretty nasty bit of drums. Well, yeah, and it's, it's pretty cool. Not actually. the first time I think we saw Gary Berghoff go completely yeah. Berghoff on the drums. I yeah, mean, he just goes off. You, he, oh, come on, guys. He says radar. What rut radar? I'm Gary Berghoff on mm-hmm. these drums. But if you haven't seen it, look at uh, look yeah. at it. He, the man, can play. Yeah, I, filler is a good a good way to put it. They had like some leftover stuff. It really wasn't a plot. It was there was a, an entertainment. Group came in, a USO type deal. Yep. A guy who told terrible jokes. Yeah, he was not funny. And and girl, uh, three girls, the something sisters. I believe it was, I believe they were called the Miller sisters. The Miller sisters. I think so. Uh, came in, they sang half, halfway decently. Not a lot of harmony for three people, but it was there. And really, the, the audience, the 4077 is out in the audience. And they look just like. They're bored. Bored out of their skull. And they mm-hmm. look depressed, which goes with. You know the ending of the ceasefire, and it's like okay, but that's I mean that's the majority of the episode, and it's intercut with uh, Frank and well Frank playing pranks on Hawkeye. He, that's right. He yeah he gets he him with a the, bucket, the of bucket of water on him. He uh-huh. messes him up. He messes with him in the shower. But the, the shower head's not whatever. <laughs> that, that was funny. I'll yeah, that, that was funny. And then of course he gets him in the end when he goes into the latrine, and then yeah. Cut the rope, and next thing you know, the, the whole wall falls. falls down, and there, yep, there he is sitting Frank in all his, in all glory, his glory and his reading, newspaper, reading stars and stripes, stripes. <laughs> stars and stripes. But interesting that, thing, you don't, you didn't see any light inside the latrine. How would he have seen it? Hmm. He's got America eyes. Is that what it is? It's a, it's a, it's those patriotic <laughs> the, eyes. The, the stars and stripes that glowed in the dark. Yeah. That could be. <laughs> they clip in the dark so soldiers could read it in the field. Oh, is that what it is? They print you sure. that special link. Um, and I also have a note here that this would be the second and final appearance of Henry J. Goldman, who played the camp dentist, Dr. Kaplan DDS. Yeah, that was the other C storyline, I guess. He was yep. trying to get home without being injured and ended up injuring himself anyway. Yep. I don't know how much of this will actually pick up on the microphone, but let's see here. Off playing the drums, yep. yep. Playing the uh, <laughs> sing anger snare there. Yep. Um, yeah, he could definitely he could definitely play. And if you watch that clip, 
which he should. It's really yep. good. He is good. You definitely you, you see Radar disappear, and you see Gary Birdoff playing the drums. As a fellow musician, I know it when you're you're just in the zone and just there, and he was. Yeah. So, first season of Mash. Done and done. Episodes. Uh, I only had one listed as my favorite, um, but you know some good moments. Uh, I don't think I would be surprised to hear you know at it, at the the time of this airing on TV. I don't think I'd be surprised that they renewed it for a second season. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, they they had talked um, about how bad their ratings were in the first season. They were, you know, down below the wonderful world of Disney and, you know, and opposite them. And, you know, the time slots, like, mm-hmm. what is it, like 10 o'clock at night or something like that. They were, you know, so they were, their, their ratings in the first season were dismal. But if I remember correctly, somebody related to one of the head honchos at 20th Century Fox was the one that basically she was, I think it was the wife of like maybe Fox's president or something mm. commented that they, you know, you got to keep the show on the air. So I think it has potential. I, yeah. It, it's like, you know, give it, give it a chance. Yeah. You know, let's, let's do another season. I could definitely see someone looking at this and going, yes, there's potential here. So yeah, we're going to get to the rest of them. I, I hope you enjoyed our, our distilling of the first season of mash. And, uh, so what, so we're calling this, we are, we, you say we're calling this the, the mash files. Is we'll that call it the mash files. I like work, it. Working title. Working right. title. Okay. We'll call it working title. Okay. The Mash Files. The Mash Files, a working title. A working title. A working title production. Uh, I am your host, Sivas Brian, and this is John, the the master of Mash. Yeah, like I said, I don't know about all that. Oh, definitely. And we hope to see you, so to speak, next time on The Mash Files. Bye, everybody. Have a good one, everybody. Yeah!